This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. And welcome along to episode 125 of the ABZ Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gary Scott, and we're back to full strength this week as I'm joined by Gavin J. Baxter and the newly crowned Mr. Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Good, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm I'm armed with substandard continental product. So I felt that a drink might be necessary for this one. So with the spirit of Aberdeen, here we are. I just thought when you were talking about substandard continental product, you were talking about uh, ready to uh, ready to be bleak as fuck. <laughs> Here we fucking go. It's a pretty jam packed one this week. Um, as we're going to look back on our defeat to Hearts in the cinch, we'll check in with the latest news from maybe twenty four in the week that's passed. We'll bring you a quick look at our loanies and loan watch. We'll see how the young team got on this week. We'll take a quick look at the Quines and their doubleheader against Hibs and Celtic, and then after the break. We'll preview our first European group stage game since 2007 as the Dons travel to Frankfurt on Thursday night. And we look even further ahead to the visit of mad racist Malky McKay's Dross County to the pit next Sunday. But first, Hearts 2, Aberdeen Nil, Saturday the 16th of December 2023, Tynecastle Stadium. In the cinch, two changes to the side that lost out against Hibs last time out, Stefan Gartenman coming in for his debut, Leighton Clarkson coming back into the starting eleven as well, Angus McDonald and Connor Barron dropping out. Still no place on the bench for or Dadia. The Dons lining up in their now familiar 3-5-2 with Rubizic anchoring the back three, which saw Jensen on the left and Gartenman on the right. And it was the visitors who had the brighter start, dominating possession in the opening 10 minutes, which saw an effort from McGarry, well stopped by Xander Clark in the Jambos net. But despite that initial pressure, the Dons were the architects of their own downfall. Soppy play by Clarkson, allowing Shanklin to fire an effort wide before Roos had to stop from Atkinson after McGarry was dispossessed. The Dons allowing Hearts to get a foothold in the game and the home side took the lead on 13 minutes. Rubicic caught following Shankland all the way towards the halfway line. Shankland with a neat layoff to Boyce, allowing the Northern Irish International to drive into space vacated by Rubicic. He laid off to Oda, whose cross-come shot was deflected into the net off McGarry 1-0 to Hearts. And truth be told, after that initial goal, this was two poor teams battling out with Hearts, probably edging the midfield battle going into halftime as Aberdeen began to become more and more disjointed. Duke and Miofsky in particular, furrowing lonely burrows up the park with balls just being shelled to them. Peter Haring, perhaps a little bit lucky to escape a second booking after he appeared to bring Shinny down on the edge of the box, Kevin Glancy bottling having to make a decision by not awarding a free kick. Tent and Boyce into the book prior to interval as well as the game got a little bit tetchy, but halftime, 1-0 to Hearts. The Dons then switching things up at halftime, 
going into what was a kind of 4-1-4-1 slash 4-3-3 with Devlin at right-back, Rubicic and Gartenman at centre-half, Jensen at left-back with McGarry pushing further up the pitch on the left-hand side. But it was Hearts who continued to dominate the midfield in the second half, every second ball being won by a player of Maroon, Duncan on for McGarry in Aberdeen's first change of the afternoon But at this stage. A second goal seems inevitable and it arrived on 64 minutes. The Dons failing to clear our lines properly. Neuenhoff too strong for Jensen in a tackle. His cross taking a deflection off McGrath, which roosted well to stop instinctively, but his efforts landed at Boyce's feet with no Aberdeen player near him to tap home. Aberdeen with a triple change in the aftermath of that. Sokler, Gay and Barron all coming on from McGrath, Miofsky and Clarkson. But very little change. Hearts continuing to dominate. Aberdeen looking ropey. Gay pulling out a stop from Clark with a couple of minutes to go. But this was as comfortable a three points as Hearts will probably end up having at home all season. Full time, 2-0 on the data front. Uh, possession 53% to 47%. It's a lot closer than I actually thought it was going to be. Shots 12 to 11. Again, way closer than I was expecting. Shots on target 4 to 5. Aberdeen actually with more shots on target in this one. Baffling. Expe- expected goals 1.18 for Hearts to 0.53 for the visitors. Gents, um, kind of rattle through that a little bit because I really don't want to dwell on the actual game itself too much, but where to start on that one? Um, As we touched on in our preview, Tynecastle's not a happy hunting ground for us in general, so perhaps the result, not a massive surprise, but the manner of the defeat, the biggest concern. Yeah, you know what I mean? I know that Hearts, Tynecastle's not... As you say, um, been a overly fruitful venue for us to go and and play. But for me, it's it's just despite the um the confidence in the prediction last week of a three 0 Aberdeen victory, which was very much uh, false arrogance, shall we say? Uh, it was just the depressing inevitability. Like when I heard that Oda had scored, it just felt yeah, that sounds about right. And then the fact we don't get into the game at all, and then concede another goal, another sloppy goal. 2-0 defeat uh, against a team that are, like ourselves, have not started the season at all well. It's just it's a very familiar tale of, if you're struggling, you need points. Good good news, Aberdeen are coming out of town. And then when you watch the highlights, it's just it's laughably bad. I'm just chuckling the bit where Gary said Rubicic was anchoring the back three. Well, he did bring everything to a standstill. <laughs> yeah, anchoring usually means solid. I, th- I think it's pretty much like Gavin said. It's, yeah, are you playing shit? Are you in a terrible run of form and you need three points? Aberdeen, come on down. It feels a little bit like it was a couple of seasons ago from that perspective all over again, doesn't it? In terms of the starting lineup, surprised with anything in there? Um, I was mightily surprised that Rubicic played. I am very curious as to what is going on, as to why Angus McDonald comes in for one game and is dropped. Comes in for one game and is dropped. Um... Very, very curious as to why, how any manager could look at Rubicic's performances up till now, even I think if you just take Hibbs in isolation and decide that's a guy that you need in a game like this, don't get it. I'm a little bit surprised that he keeps playing as well. Um, Feels like every game it's the same pattern where he just basically charges way out of his position to win a ball that he can't win and doesn't need to be winning, and then. His options after that are a rash challenge to take someone out or we're all out of shape. And, you know, you look at what happened yesterday and it's a good example of that. Um, I thought McDonald was pretty tidy when he came into Ireland last season, so I'm not really sure how he's out of the starting lineup t- 
to be honest. Um, so yeah, some strange decisions. I guess for all we know, I mean, there might be an issue with McDonald. He obviously missed a big chunk of preseason, so there maybe he's maybe not quite fully fit and ready yeah, to that, play. That's that, possible. That, but I, and I, was gonna... I, I accept that, but there's a big issue with Lovett Andrew Pesic. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I, I was actually in question. I actually thought yesterday. Um, oh, here we go. No, I, like there's 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 a massive error in the opening in the run up to the first goal. That's clear to see for anybody, and it goes back to exactly what Graham said before that there's just this rashness about him. Especially for me, if you're the if you're the centre player in the back three, your position should really be effective to hold um, most of the time. You don't need to come charging out there as he does, with, and he gets nowhere near Shankland, and he's miles out of position. And I know that the ball doesn't come straight up the area that he's vacated, but Boyce gets a free run in towards goal and lays off the wood up because of the fact that Rupesic isn't there. Um, and he got turned really badly by Forrest, I think, in the second half when he was already in a booking and I thought he's about to get sent off here. But I I, I actually didn't think Rubisic had a terrible game yesterday overall. There was, that, there, was, there was a couple of moments that I was a bit worried with, but he made a couple of really critical interceptions in the second half as well. And he actually won a lot in the air yesterday. I didn't think it was this worst performance for us and I, I kind of came away feeling if you could just coach some of that rashness out of him there might be something in there to work with but I was as well surprised to see him in his starting lineup it's fair to say it's, it's, a, point, it, it's uh, a point of view certainly yeah <laughs> I like that we've omitted the fact that he absolutely wipes out Shankland and I thought I'm <laughs> assuming he got a yellow card for that Yes, he did get a yellow card for that. So he, that must did, be every yeah. game so far. He must have picked up a booking, I'd imagine, by now. I think that could very well be the case. Um, anyway, let's move off from position just now because I, I I do get that that might be a slightly contentious. Um, I just I just think that in, in these games, especially, just experience is vital, and I don't see where, like you say, he's just he's so very very raw, <laughs> as they like to say about footballers who can't play football. And we've got an experienced player in Angus Bidon who came in, and I think you get two good. Um, physical defenders around him we saw last season that works very well and Angus is the leader at the back Rubisic isn't so um, yeah I was very surprised that I'm just yeah very curious again why McDonald is just in one game out one game in one game out one game very curious the, the worst thing about this is we actually started the game well <clears throat> um, you could hear the Hearts fans right, really starting to get on the team's back we kind of did exactly what you want to do as the way team traveling to a place like um Tyne Castle when they're not playing well um got on the ball dominant possession fashioned a, a, a chance through McGarry you could kind of hear the Hearts fans really starting to get on their team's backs a little bit at this point and then we just shoot ourselves in the foot um Clarkson with a horrendous piece of play just outside his own box to to allow the ball eventually to fall to Shankland who puts the ball wide uh, McGarry then loses possession in a dangerous position which allows Atkinson to get in and Roos has to make a save from him and you could just see Hearts then just like growing in belief. And that culminated with them getting the lead just a couple of minutes later. There's not really much Roos can do with the goal because of the massive deflection on it. But the build-up, again, highlights some of those key issues in our backline in midfield. We've already talked about Rubisic coming out. But does Rubisic feel he has to follow Shanklin there? Because if you look around it, none of our central midfield are dropping in there to help out. Well, I mean, when, when Boyce picks up the ball, he's the wrong side of every midfielder in our team and like you say he gets a free run at the at the penalty box and then when he you know puts it out wide to the boy Oda James McGarry's clearly like read the Aberdeen defensive manual from front to back and memorized <laughs> every single word because god forbid you would ever engage an attacker in that situation it's it's this it's it's very it was reminiscent of Hearts 5 Aberdeen 0 last season where just attacker runs at you 
you back off, you back off. He puts his hands like in front of him almost to make him even smaller. It's, it's just, it's laughable. I do not, this is like every game, Aberdeen defenders do this. We never engage before the attacker actually gets into the penalty area. I just don't understand it. It looked really lazy, to be honest. You know, it's just that sort of, uh, well, I'll trot back and we'll see what happens. Um, you know, if you go to him and he beats you, okay, you're going to criticise him for that, but don't just trot back with your hands by your side. It was all just pretty woeful. And when I actually saw it, I thought, what the hell is Roos playing at? But then obviously it does take the deflections. I'm not sure as much he could do, but there's just so much in that that is laughable and actually very, very familiar over the last few years. The big concern for me was again, though, just around the lack of midfield covering that. I mean, the ball drops in Shankland, he's pretty much in the in the centre circle when he collects the ball. And there's no, there's none of our centre midfielders around him, anywhere near him at that point. And you can kind of almost on one hand see why Rupesic follows him out, because he's probably looking and saying, there's nobody there to deal with this and I need to go and make a decision. Now, I, I think it's, it's clearly the wrong decision to make, but you can kind of understand why he ends up doing it. In that difficult situation where it's like, you shouldn't, it's not your problem as such. So if you hold your position and you don't get beat in that position where you should be, you can point your finger at someone else. But obviously the other alternative is you probably take a gamble, you panic and you try and do something. And sometimes it'll work and everyone's saying, that's brilliant, you tried the game brilliantly there. And other times it won't. And everyone's saying, ah, what an idiot, he shouldn't have come out. I can kind of see how he was, you're a bit damned if you do and you're damned if you don't yeah. in that situation. It's it is something that's happened before with the heckin' striker at the return leg of Tawdry dragged Rubic all over the pitch. Yeah, And it does make me wonder, is that something that's happening because he's inexperienced and doesn't know or is that he being told to go and engage with his direct opponent? What happened is heckin' as well is very similar to this, that the ball kept on being dropped into that midfield area and there was nobody around them. Yeah, very a curiously high line at this point when we yeah, can see this goal. And and yeah, like you say, um obviously because Leighton Clarkson's quote unquote the quarterback deep line player, um, Shinny and McGrath are further ahead. It's yeah, it's not it's not good enough. No, absolutely. And the reaction from us was also non existent because as as we said, we kind of started the game well. We we were on the front foot, we were controlling possession, we were actually playing the ball around not too badly as well at this point. And then we just withdrew into our shells. We looked scared to get on the ball, which resulted once again in just long balls being shelled up the park to Duke, excuse me, to Duke Miofsky. I mean, we've said it before. Everyone said it. I mean, even fucking Neil McCann could see it on sports scene yesterday. That tactic is just simply not going to bring us any joy at all with those two players up top, is it? Let's, let's be honest. No. You, I think you could probably make a case to say, actually, in general, does that, war of attrition style actually work i'm not certain it does but it definitely doesn't oh, work when you oh, don't Sam have is going to be on the blower now well i i know i know but it's probably there's an example of someone who had a success with that style but in general you look around teams that have accomplished anything or even just middling teams generally not what i think you would associate with them they usually try to do something a bit more inventive, but fundamentally, whether you want to go down that route or not, it's not really the issue. We've got players who can't play that and we're playing well and scoring goals last season when we were playing to their strengths. And now you've just decided that that's not the way to go. That's the bit I can't get my head around. You've got the tools to do a job and you decide to do it differently. This is the point, isn't it? This is what like Stephen Thompson mentioned on the sports scene where you'll get a degree of success 
playing that style of football if you have the players in place to play. If we've got two absolute units up front and then we can just shell and they're going to win second balls and they're going to win free kicks and we're going to get midfielders in and around to support them, then yeah, it will work to an extent. But the players we have, it's not, it's not going to work any day of the week. And this is why I think so many fans are concerned about where we are this early on in the season. Well, I was talking about with somebody today. It was like the way, the only way you can make that sort of style of play work on a consistent level is basically a if you happen to have a target man who's going to win the absolute majority of his kind of aerial duels, and also you have to have players in and around him winning second balls or flick-ons, which we don't also have, let alone have a target man. Or b the only other way I think you can make this work is if you're doing this in order to turn teams around. So they're having to like run back to their own goals. And then you're playing with a really high intensity press, pushing teams up and alongside their own box, forcing them to make mistakes. And then you have to be clinical with turnover when it comes to you. And we're not doing that either. Like we're not, this this is why I'm almost so baffled by what's happening this season, because it felt to me last year, we were doing at least that second part quite well we were kind of harrying teams we were hassling teams high up the park we were winning turnover ball and we were quite clinical with it because we were feeding play- it wasn't like we were punting long balls at that point to Dukimovsky but we were winning the ball in a localised area to the to the, to the the opposition box feeding them in you know through the ground look at um, the goal Duke scores against Kamarnik for example Pataudry in the opening minutes it's exactly what we're talking about here you're playing to the strengths and you're kind of doing that we're not doing any of that this season none of these parts of this style are working so why are we persisting with that? I wasn't going to come on to the manager right now, but I don't know. It maybe feels like it's the right time to talk it's, about it's it. It's inevitable to talk about it, I think. And this is what's so galling for me is that, yeah, in such a short space of time, I think of Hearts at Pataudry in the 3-0 when, when we blew them away in the first half. And it's because we had the perfect blend in a team to play that style of football with, you know, uh, I can't remember, but I think Johnny Hayes must have played left wing back. McCrory, right wing back. You've got the intensity from Shinny and Ramadani in the middle. You know, the pace, the power of uh, McCrory and Hayes. Pollock and Scales are capable of coming forward as well and playing on the ball. And you're giving Leighton Clarkson all the space in the world to then allow Duke and Miofsky to do what they can do. Again, I repeat this, like, especially with Miofsky, we've got one of the most gifted forwards we've had in years. And you watch the highlights, I don't think he touches the ball. Let me just have a look to see how many times he touched the ball yesterday. Um, we'll come back on it again in a minute or two. I mean, there's there's an argument to be made, and I don't want to go down this particular rabbit hole, but Hearts should have played about 10 men, I think, with Peter Haring. Um, he was very, very lucky to escape a second yellow in the first half alone, and then he also pulled Shinny back on a breakaway early in the second half. The Clancy also bought a decision on... Um, I mean, Haring was hooked straight after that. I think even the Hearts bench recognised what was going to, what was about to happen. Not saying it necessarily changes the game, but it's one of these things. Second half, we saw a change of shape from Robson. Uh, we we went to a back four. It didn't really change much in terms of our style of play. That's for sure. And we still look pretty shaky back there. Um, I already touched on the fact that I thought that Rubzic, I thought actually had an okay game after the first goal. Um, Stefan Gartenman made his debut. Um, what were your thoughts on on our Danish loanee? I mean, you know, confessional, of course, that didn't see the entire 90 minutes. And in the the highlights I've seen, there's not really anything of him um, winning any headers or making any clearances. So it's hard to say anything about that. Um, The view on the second hand of view on Twitter is that he was one of the few positives 
in the in the performance. Um, yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully we'll get some good some good shit out of him. But uh, very early in the day to say. I thought he did okay. It was kind of where I was at with it. I thought he looked all right. He thought he looked decent enough. Um, yeah, it was hard really to get much of a read on on exactly where he was good. Sorry, I was looking here. Boyamowski touched the ball nineteen times yesterday. Well, there you go. Um, so yeah, and the warm ups. <laughs> uh, so, well, there's two kickoffs in there, presumably. Well, that's true. Three that, kickoffs that potentially. Um, so yeah, uh, Garterman. I mean, he's not directly or indirectly responsible for either of the goals, so he can take that to the bank with him. Indeed, um, the second goal. So, uh, see, I've thought Jensen's looked okay so far um, in games for us. Weak but, as piss. Yeah, as I say, he was extremely weak in that tackle with Noyan Weak off. as a nun's piss in that tackle. <laughs> um, it's like he kind of got his body shape and position all wrong going into it. The fact then as well, there's no one pressing Noyan Hoff after he gets past him. McGrath's deflection makes it really hard for Roos. Um, but again, the fact that Boyce is standing six yards out with no one within a couple of yards of him to make a tackle is kind of unforgivable, isn't it? It's, it's hard to work out which of the two goals is worse. Well, I mean, it's yeah. There's that, and the fact there's Rubicic and Devlin looking at him and just saying, yeah. "Ah, Rus has probably got this." It's also entirely predictable that the ball would fall to a Hearts player, and an Aberdeen player would be nowhere near them because whether it's our box or their box or midfield, uh, we just—it's like we're not. I don't know. Maybe someone needs to tell them that you're allowed to get a second ball. <laughs> I was going to touch on it anyway. That happened all the way through the game, to be fair, like all of the pitch. Um, and we'll come on to it again in a minute or two, I think. But we then made a triple sub straight up in the aftermath of that goal. And like to me, it literally looked as though we were just throwing shit against the wall and hoping that something would stick. Because it didn't really look like there was any plan as to what those changes were meant to bring. It just looked like a punt. Well, it's like back to that, you know, how often do substitutes influence the game? If you're if you're changing what you're trying to do, yeah, maybe. But if you're, like you say, if you're going through the game, it's not working, you're not in it. It's not a case like we were all over them, we were in the game and we just shipped a silly goal or they've hit a worldie and you think what we're doing is working, we will get something out of this. We weren't competitive. Uh, and then it's just the old fresh legs, isn't it? It's totally, it's just a brainless use of substitutions. I mean... There's not really much more I can say that. Just putting on like for like or that sort of, oh, well, these guys haven't played. Let's see what happens if I chuck them on. There's, there's I just know what's the point. Um, you've got the substitutions we could have done. I don't know what the answer is to this question, but you could have done something different or you should have tried something different because if you've gone through that much of the game and you're not competitive, I don't see why getting you guys on to run around a bit is going to change anything at all. Um, didn't make any sense. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not the first time, certainly under Robson, but again, it's eerily similar to Hibs, where we just brought on different bodies and just it felt almost like the message was just go play wherever you fancy or go play somewhere where absolutely we're not going to extract any of your strengths, if you have any, which some like of them it. don't. <laughs> like you yeah. say, it just, it just, it should, it, honestly, this is not a general, this is not necessarily a Robson gripe. It's a gripe over the years with managers where most substitutions, it feels like, are just that guy can run around a bit now, so we'll put him on. Um, but yeah, I think like Gavin says, you've then got square pegs, round holes, which is even just more stupid. 
it, honestly, it just, but it did look to me as just like, just I'm going to throw these boys on and see what happens. There didn't really seem to be any sort of structure or idea about what we were going to do with these new people coming into the pitch. Um, and it's that weird thing. It's like for a while, there was a lot of people criticizing Robson for his lack of use of substitutes for a while. Um, and now it's like we've gone polar opposite. We're just like using subs for the fucking crack. Like, but it's like, I don't understand what we're doing. I, I, I also. I, I I don't. This is not about Ryan Duncan. I I don't understand what the fuck we brought Ryan Duncan on for James McGarry at the point we brought him on for. I I do not understand that substitution in any way, shape, or form. Um, if it's as the gentleman we spoke to about James McGarry mentioned that it's a fitness issue and that he can't make the game, then Johnny Hayes is on the bench, and you know we don't necessarily want Johnny Hayes to be playing there all the time, but he's a much more adept. Uh, left wing back than Ryan Duncan is. Ryan Duncan's been pretty hopeless every time he's played in that position. I think they might say beyond that position, actually. Um, so yeah, well, by very, that point, we, by that point, we by that point, we weren't playing with a back five. So McGarry was playing almost as a on the right hand, on the left hand side of the three up front or the or the four, depending which way you looked at it. Uh, I mean, he was playing further advanced, but even then, okay. I, I still think I'd look at it and still say. I probably would have gone to Johnny Hayes, to be honest. The f- I mean, Johnny Hayes... And I can't believe I'm saying that. Well, it's just what... So, Johnny, you know, Johnny Hayes is not the player he was, but Duncan's not offered anything of note. But he's had flashes where he's, you know, he's done reasonably well out of what I assume is his position, but I wouldn't say he's been covering that well. And you think, right, that's fine. He's been doing a decent job. Let's get him on. He's a player who doesn't look like he's got a great deal of confidence. He's obviously unsure of his role in his team, in the team, because I think we're all unsure what his role is. And I feel a little bit. I don't think it's. I don't think Robson's hanging him out to dry as and putting him on as a sort of scapegoat type thing. But I feel a little bit sorry for Duncan, where he's at a stage where he should be learning his craft, and he's just getting a run of games here and there in odd positions. And I don't really think that's going to help him long-term either. I mean, I've not been impressed with him, but I do feel a little bit sorry for him sometimes as yeah. uh, as well. That's fair. There's probably no player that's been jerked around to position, to position like Ryan Duncan since Robson's been in place. Yeah. Like, uh, left wing thing, back, full yeah. back, centre midfield, right side of the three, left side of the three. Kind of played it's almost everywhere. as well like. against Kilmarnock. Well, but what surprises me the most about that is I kind of, unless I've got my... Timing's wrong. I assumed that Robson would have been partly responsible for taking Duncan through. Yeah, so he would he, have been. Yeah, he's a player that he knows, and I think had featured, you know, in a reasonably successful sort of age group that Robson had with that team. So it's like I don't. Know, I can't. I thought when he came in, like Sabarin, for example, Duncan, these guys that Robson would have played and would have known would have thrived a little bit more because Robson would know what they can and can't do and what he wants them to do in the team. But he just seems to be using them, Duncan in particular, anywhere he's got a gap to fill. So, okay, well, you can go and do that this week. Another very frustrating afternoon for Duke. He looks like a man completely bereft of any sort of confidence just now. You could see that more and more as the game wore on. He was then trying to win fouls every single time he got the ball, which is never a good look either. I mean, I was amazed he lasted the 90 minutes. Um, uh, one thing I hadn't noticed, and I just noticed it today, he hasn't had a shot on target in the league so far this season, um, Duke, which which says a lot. Now we're five games in. Is it now time for him to be kind of maybe taken out of the team? Um, 
maybe let's see if we can kind of reignite that kind of super sub mentality that initially kind of brought him to the party last season. You can't justify his selection based on what he's giving you. But if and I don't think it's necessarily shite, I don't know what he's supposed to do with it. I don't think it's necessarily his fault, but you know, as people have alluded to, that you know, if all he's going to do in that situation is just take the ball in, get tackled, fall over, and complain to the referee every time, then you know, we need we need more than that. Um, yeah, not necessarily his fault, but um, yeah, he definitely needs to be taken out of the team. I don't see what anyone else is going to do different in that role with the ball sailing over their head. I take your point that it might be worth just giving Duke a, a break, but fundamentally, I don't, I don't see him as the root cause of how things are going up front. Taking him out, putting chocolate on, or whoever you want to put gay on doesn't. I don't think it matters. If the ball is just sailing over your head, you're going to get fed up, and there's not much you can do to influence the game. Well, and this is what I was going to say: is that we're talking about confidence levels here as well. His confidence levels are not going to be doing any. They're not going to be improving, as you say, Graham. By just not be, his strengths not being played to at all here. You can see why his head's going down and why he looks frustrated. You know yourself if you're playing a game and it's annoying and people aren't making the right passes or choosing to pass or whatever it may be, you kind of get to a point of like, ugh, it's almost like what's the point? And when you do get it, you feel you've got to do something. And then usually when you're trying too hard, that's when it starts to fall apart. It only, you know, he looked good last season when... He was confident. He was getting the ball in the right area. He could attack people and take them on. And if it didn't work, he knew he'd get another chance and he'd probably beat his man that time. And obviously everyone's then behind him. Whereas at the moment, sailing over his head is annoying for everyone. And then when he does get it and tries to buy the fouls, for me, that just really pisses me off as well. So it's not gonna it's not gonna work for you. And then you're just gonna get people on your back. And then it's kind of a difficult cycle to get out of. I think my point is more that I think we need a drastic change in the shape of the team. Oh, yeah, I think the that's... easiest way of going about that is to probably break up the Bioski duke partnership. And if that's the case, then I take Duke out of the final That's line. fair. I was thinking we're just saying take him off and put someone on and play the same way. But no, that's probably fair. If you're going to, if you want to change it, I guess on form, you probably want to keep Bioski in the team more so than Duke, the way things are going. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would anyway, I think Bioski is a more well-rounded player than Duke is. I think Duke's, or what we saw last season, I think Duke's got more individual, like that kind of maverick thing about him, right? And he can probably create something out of nothing and more than Miofsky can. I'm saying that though, Miofsky's finish, for example, in Sweden against Hekin was purely creating something out of absolutely nothing. And I think he does have that in his locker. But I think if, I don't know, my, <laughs> I'm saying this now after watching both miss absolute sitters against Hekin 101, where I'd say if I had right now a choice <laughs> between the two of them about if they were putting a one-on-one situation who would you most fancy to score and it'd probably be Miofsky to be honest at this moment in time uh, I think Miofsky just offers you a little bit more in terms of what he can offer especially as the sole striker but the midfield three of, of Shinny, McGrath and Clarkson I mean the last time the three of them played together or that they started was against Hecken at home where you know they were disjointed we were overrunning midfield I was very interested to see how that would go when they were put back in again. And it was exactly the same story. Again, I mean, I don't think as a three in this shape we're playing that this works. They're all decent players in their own right. But as a combination, this is just not working. And and this needs to be addressed as well sooner rather than later. Remember when it was all about signing quality over quantity? Yeah. And we signed Jamie McGrath. <clears throat> See, I, I don't think he's a bad player, but he's not what we needed. E- exactly. That's exactly it. When I was chatting to, you know, or listening to us chat to Dundee United fans, they were talking about how light and absent of fight they were in their midfield. And then, and Jay McGrath was a culprit they brought up. I was thinking, that's the guy I want. 
no one's coming at me about my uh, Jamie McGrath tweets. I see since the, uh, the heck of night. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, an, abs- an absolute, an absolute waste of a jersey. I mean, I, um, I I really don't like him. I did I didn't want him here to begin with. I've seen nothing to suggest he's even in a tailor-made Aberdeen team for him. I don't think Jamie Grass good enough for us. Um, quite simply, Graham, there's a lot of chat about Graham Shinney, obviously. Uh, yeah. About his diminishing influence over the central midfield, and I think Gary's got it spot on. That hurt to say. That really fuck me. Wait a minute. Please really, don't that, really, that really hurt to say there. Oh dear, Graham Shinney needs a partner in the, in the centre of the field to do the work that he does as well. And last season we had a perfect situation with Ramadani and yeah, Kenny McLean did it as well beforehand. He can't do all that work by himself. He needs someone else in there to do it with him. Uh, Leighton Clarkson like, will do it as well, but that's not what we want to see Leighton Clarkson do. And the problem is we don't have anyone at the club now who can support him. Graham Shinney that is. Well, hang on, Gavin. Um, Dante Kovara signed a new three-year deal this week, and we'll come on to that yeah. later on. But, um, but, but was, it is, what, I think what, I made... What, what was Dante doing on Saturday, by the way? Sitting on the bench for some weird reason. Counting the empty seats in Tynecastle. Uh, of which there were quite a few. Actually, That's a personal like, view there, Gavin. <laughs> I mean, but it's, but it's... But Gav's right about this. Like, Graeme Shinney, even in his pomp at Aberdeen, first time around, he always had... He's always been a player who's relied on having somebody dovetailing with him in the system he's playing in. And at Aberdeen, he had, for a while, he had a player who ran his contract down and fucked off to Sevco at the first opportunity. And then he had Kenny McLean doing a lot of that work alongside him as well. And then second time around, he had Ilber Ramadani last season dovetailing really well with him in that role. And he's still trying out there to do the work of two men, I think. It's not working. He's running around like a headless chicken more often than not. I mean, Cami Devlin absolutely dominated the midfield yesterday, and that's a fucking painful thing, I have to say. This three, I, I don't necessarily go, uh, Graham, I don't know what your thoughts. I don't I don't necessarily agree with Gav to the extent he has about McGrath. I think McGrath's technically a decent player. If he'd come in as the backup to Leighton Clarkson, with a view to him being a kind of creative player for us in the middle of the three... I would have gone, that's all right, to an extent. The fact, though, that he's, we now appear to be playing him in a role where he's the Ilba Ramadani replacement, and I'm like, they're just so wildly different, it's not even fucking funny anymore. Yeah, Swan McGrath, I've never really got it. Um, I'm not as far off as Gav, and when we signed him, I was like, well, Give it a month. A, <laughs> the thing is, he's on a free realistically how of, how often is he going to play because I was thinking yeah he's that creative backup so you think well alright was that as well all the players were after on their contract of course remember that yeah so uh, long story short I don't think he's as bad as Gav makes out but I never envisaged him doing this role and it's not again it's just totally it, that is a signing that I thought had long gone and by that I mean it's one where oh this guy's got a reputation he's available we'll take him and we'll see what we can do with him. I thought we were past that. But if that's kind of how it feels like he was, we've wanted him before, he, he was available, we've got him, and now Robson has been pulled to or feels that he has to play him or or worryingly thinks to. that that's his yeah. role. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I too thought the days of, well, this guy got relegated last year, so. So you know he's good. And we don't even get the ball in the penalty box, so it's not like we're going to win penalties and pretend that he's a goal-scoring midfielder. It's not even like he's taking them anyway. Miofsky will still be on pens. So, um, 
yeah, I, I just this this three just doesn't work. I mean, Povara's dropped out in recent weeks, and as much as it pains me to say it, we've probably played our best football so far this season when Povara's been in the midfield three. That's not that's not big periods of very, play. Very small sample size. Oh, it, is, it is a very small sample size, and I'm sure we've played plenty, plenty of dog shit football with Povara in the team as well. We absolutely have, but it's just like. We'll come on to the Povara re-signing later on, um, or fuck it, we might as well just do it now. Actually, he signed a three-year and ex- a three-year extension during the course of the week that's just gone. So you know when the notification comes in and you just see like the little the preview of the notification, yeah. and it just said Danny Povara signs new or something like that. I just thought we'd send him out on loan. I assumed that as well when I saw it. I was like, we must have sent him out on loan somewhere, and then I was going to be like, what the fuck. Three-year contract. We're late enough in the midfield as it is without sending him out on loan to whoever we've sent him out on loan to, and then to click on it to find out that he'd signed signed a three-year extension. I was like, "Well, that's a curveball." I wasn't quite expecting to see. Um, just guaranteeing the resale. Just general thoughts about that. Uh, honestly, given the way that we've given the news about the European squad with Shade and Morris still being part of it, even though he's crocked for basically <laughs> the duration of you know yeah. the group stage. And Vinny Bajau not being in there, I just always said, you know what, we've got too many Samuel tools, I think. So Dante, off you go. Um, unexpected. I'm not necessarily sure that if I was the Aberdeen manager or a decision maker at the club, that an extension for Dante Power would be my priority in our squad. I am very intrigued by this on a number of different levels. I mean, we've touched on it before. I mean, we've been told by numerous people now. Um, within the club that part of the reason that we were we, we let Ramadani go there were two main reasons why we let Ramadani go one player wanted to leave because he wanted to get closer to home which is fine and two was because we felt that we had a ready-made replacement in the form of Povara and in, in some instances Robson was already favoring Povara ahead of Ramadani for the start of the season anyway based on I'm not entirely sure what but never mind that's where we were <clears throat> and that's part of, and, and so the reason we haven't signed a quote-unquote Ramadani replacement is because we believed we had one in the door already. I do wonder if, which then begs the question, well, why is he not playing now when there's a Ramadani-shaped hole for everybody to fucking see in our squad if the guy we think is the replacement is already here and we don't play him? My other thought about why we've actually signed him in a contract extension was I just, I wonder if he's actually triggered an automatic contract extension from his initial deal because he has, he's, he's approaching making 20 first-team appearances. He's made 10 starts now for the club which when you think about how he was brought in you could see there might have been an angle in there that if you play 10 start 10 games then it automatically triggers an extension but I'd be amazed it was an automatic extension for three fucking years I would have thought maybe an extra year pretty good work from his agent if it is <laughs> exactly so I would have thought maybe another year um <laughs> Actually, unless, you know unless we've decided you know what we actually do think there's a really really fucking good player in here somehow and we'll extend him for pennies and if it turns out he's fucking really good then we'll sell him for gazillions there's no better way of finding that out by not playing him <laughs> so it, the non-playing not playing him thing's odd but even if you give a view of where he's good bad or indifferent if he's going to be your starting player you still don't have a backup for him it's true yep and that isn't just that's negligence. Whether you like Povara or not, if the understanding was that he will be the Shinny's foil, he's going to be playing every week. At some point, he's going to get injured, suspended, you know, need a rest. Imagine they might have to play two games in a couple of days. 
Um, you, just don't, you don't have a, you don't have anyone for him, and that's that's crazy. Don't let the sports scientists be hearing you saying that now, Graham. Well, again, it's it's early on in the season, and we've got our manager <laughs> complaining about travel. I, mean, I love that we're still blaming Hecken on this shit. I'm about to come on this. In a minute. Must, we'll come on this. Yeah, Robson's map must be bigger or different to mine because when you look at the Swedes, it's not that big a trip. But my my atlas must be like really old, and or the plates must have shifted over those millions of years in Sweden's over by Africa or something now. <laughs> Fucking load of nonsense. <laughs> I won't be able to manage next Sunday because Gary and I will be too tired having travelled from Frankfurt. I'll just be you, Gav. <laughs> it's the second time I've cried this weekend because the first time I was watching... A player like Lane Clarkson. <laughs> having to watch a player like Lane Clarkson attempting to play long balls over the top and into channels yeah. time and time and time again. And I saw some people online like being like, What's he doing? Why is he doing that? And I was like, it's clearly it clearly must be what he's being asked to do. Because I don't think that's Leighton Clarkson's natural default setting. No, and again, this is where you're in that obviously we look at anything that's pish, it's stupid. Why is he doing that? And it's if he's, if he's doing what he's told, and then obviously that's kind of what he's supposed to do, but you also kind of then want a group of professionals to go a bit mutinous, don't you, and say, like, this is shit. <laughs> Let's just do our own thing uh, and see if it makes a difference. So it's kind of difficult to... I think, you never Will, get, yeah. I think it's what Willie Miller used to tell them when Ian Porterfield gave them team talks. I was like, forget all that. Let's go into this. <laughs> and you're obviously not going to get a, a player under contract with the current manager coming out saying, yeah, yeah, I was told to shell it to Duke. Um, so maybe maybe all will be revealed when things change. Uh, you know what? We're not we're not saying it, but we're we're telling it in the way that we play. I mean, it's, it has been mentioned in that uh, piece by Neil McCann about when Calderus has the ball, at his feet retrieves the ball, and every single player turns it back to him. Like Jensen maybe, tries. Maybe to they show don't like Calderus. Well, I mean, based on his form so far this season, I'm I'm with them. Um, you know, Jensen tries to show for it, but he's just completely ignored, and he's just—it's gone. It's going direct. I mean, this is how it. This is how it is. This is yeah. It's clearly a directive from the manager. This is not being just taking matters out of their hands and saying, "Well, you know what, Leighton Clarkson's no fucking good, and Miofsky's a unit." So the ball's going out for a goal kick. Didn't see that coming. Anyway, right. Um, one of the new features this season has been uh, obviously our voicemail box, which is great fun on on a night like last night. Um. It's fair to say we had a whole host of different um, voice notes dropped into our account. Some of them which we simply cannot play because I am worried that we might be sued if we do play them. Um, ah, and they're but... definitely not suitable for in the car listening with your children. Um, Just for the avoidance of doubt, they were not overwhelmingly positive. No, we're yeah, not. There are some people who are, I think they would tick unsatisfied with Byron Robson's <laughs> managerial performance so far this season. On, on the checkbox. They're definitely the kind of person that says, I gave this review one out of five because one's the lowest amount. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Let's go to a few listeners who, who dropped their notes and let's see what they've got to say. Is uh, Cami Reith? Yeah, again, could play for another 90 minutes and still not score. Um, no point in buying four or having four strikers, buying another two strikers, if they're basically going to play Duke out wide and the ball just gets shunted up to them all the time. Um, Rubicic is a weakness. Yep. And I think the reason why that 5-3-2 worked last season was because of the personnel that was involved in the five being scales 
and Pollock, obviously McDonald as well. Um, the guys that they've got just now, even though it's early days, are not the same. And continuously playing five three two home and away, I don't think helps either. Um, and uh, and yeah, just uh, Robson doesn't seem to have any different ideas when things are going wrong. Hard to dis- disagree with too much that's in there, is it? No, I think it's all pretty fair and pretty reasonable and back, especially just what a lot of people have been saying, isn't it? It's all a little bit disappointing, frustrating, and also it's still early on in the season, but no evidence that it can or will be addressed in terms of there's a plan B or some sort of reset as to how we're going to use Because at the end of the day, you're st- you've got the players you've got now. You know, it's September. They're not going to not change anything until January as a minimum. So you need to find some sort of formula that works. And there's no evidence really that he's actually tinkering or trying to do that. Um, yeah, I, as regarding the back three, completely agree. I think the dynamic worked perfectly last season because of the three defenders that we had in those positions. Uh, regarding the signing of, you know, two new strikers who were going to be bench warmers and going to come on when, you know, the shit has hit the fan and they'll just maybe chase things and see if anything different happens. There's no point having these guys if they're not actually, you know, options to start. And I take Dame's point earlier that, you know, there's only so much that can change when the service is as bad as it's been so far. But I just, we've invested money, I believe, in both Sokler and and Habibgi. And they're just here to, you know, they're just here to fill a space in the squad. And then that goes back to the conversation we had all this time ago about how we weren't going to sign players who were going to block the pathways of our young players. Got a very good young player in Alfie Babbage, and he's got absolutely no chance of getting anywhere near the first team this season. Yep, absolutely. Um, Quick one again now, Kev Robertson. This is what taking loan players in of eight, nine, ten does the following season. When you bring in 13 new players and expect them all just to play off the park like they've known one another, here we are. I think individually, good players, collectively, way too much, way too soon, way too quick, so not ready. Next year will be a good season. This one, forget about it. <laughs> I think that's been the slogan of this podcast for the last three seasons. <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, it, we're kind of verging into some of Barry Robson's kind of territory here about why things have not clicked quite so soon. Um, Kev's obviously, you know, talking about the fact there's a number of players who are new, blah, blah, blah. It takes a lot of time for these guys to gel, um, which I think most people would agree that that is going to take a little bit of time. There have been 13 players coming to the door. That said, not it's not as though 13 of them are all chomping at the bit in the starting lineup. Um, but you would have expected by now for us to at least have seen some chinks of light, so to speak, in terms of a definitive style, a way we're playing, a plan B, and it's starting to gel, and there's just no signs of any of that happening. Um, yeah, there's been the odd glimmer of what this group of players is potentially capable of. I'm thinking the last half an hour of Hecken uh, away from home and, you know, a Celtic game in, in spells. But again, the commonality between all these games is that we've conceded stupid goals that we wouldn't have conceded last season under Bayer Robson. So, you know, there's, you take the point about the number of loan players we had last season. Um, obviously, we brought in a, a number in in January as well. I think just to flesh out the squad. Um, so we obviously lost a couple of players. 
in January. Um, yeah, I, I would tend to be in an ideal scenario. Of course, you don't want that kind of huge turnover uh, every summer as it's been uh, for the last couple of years. But as I alluded to, we obviously decided in a position where we had to sell a couple of key players, some of the key loans we couldn't get back. And then a number of players that have played, you know, 50-something plus games for the first team over the last few years depart and you need to you need to replace them. Whether you think they're any good or not, you still need to replace those bodies in the first team squad. And uh, early days, what I would say is that a number of the players we brought in, I'm very, very skeptical of whether they're Aberdeen standard. I'm slightly conflicted on the loan versus permanent because if you've got... We think of last season, uh, yeah, Tony Stewart wasn't working. You were able to get loans of Pollock and McDonald in. They were better than what you had. Uh, Scales, arguably, is better than, or would certainly have done a job had we been able to turn that into permanent. So I guess what I'm saying is you shouldn't, are we, I don't know, where do you draw the line between saying, if we can't get you, we're not interested, and then you just have to go and sign someone who's worse, but you sign him because you can get him, you know, so he's permanent and he gets adjusted and stuff like that. So I'm 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 not not of the opinion that loans are a bad thing, but we did seem to end up in a slightly odd situation where we had quite a lot of them in your defence and you weren't able to get enough of them back to sort of reform the band, as it were. But that's not Robson's fault. I mean, the whole point of the FMB recruitment, etc., is that there's the management of contracts in you know, rolling on of right, this guy signing three years or he's running out, we need to be looking for a replacement. You know, it's not it's not Robson's fault necessarily that we ended up having the loan players in because the previous recruitment was shit. It's not his fault that he's trying to gel a lot of players necessarily. However, he's got to find a way to do it and presumably he's had a hand in which ones he wants. And then you can kind of point fingers based on what we've seen on some of the signings. So loans, I don't think are a bad thing, but we've ended up in a situation as a club where we have ended up with the number of signings that we've ended up with. And that's probably the most frustrating part. And that's not really down to Robson, in my opinion. It's also worth mentioning that at the end of the day, we did loan Liam, sorry, not Liam Scales. We did loan Leighton Clarkson and Graham Shinney and we were able to convert those into permanent signings. You know, Paddy Mislovich and uh, Mark Kennedy, you know, are hardly hardly notable absences they were very much spare players like to uh in the in the second half of last season so it's Careful, not gav using the word notable again you did that on twitter yeah no, got dang- a lot of trouble dangerous dangerous stuff um so i again i don't think it's necessarily like it's not as though we've got a completely brand new team as such but i just think that the players we brought in to support those we already had or were able to bring in you know again clarkson and Shinny, I've just, a number of them just don't look like they're up to it. Let's do one more. Um, Scott dropped us this voice note as well. I think this is one of the ones we can use. Hi, it's Scott. I don't know what to say. We seem to control games for 20, 25 minutes. Uh, for the rest of the game, we spend the time chasing it and we make silly little mistakes, which are costing us goals. We need to tighten up things. I don't think the three five two is working, but I don't know what formation would be better. Hopefully, we do a lot better in Frankfurt though, and kickstart our season because we've got two massive games against Ross County coming up, which we really need to win both of them. Enjoy, guys. Oh, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I think if you I think if you drink enough high strength beer, you do start hallucinating. 
Well, here we go. That's what I'm hoping for is um, on, on Thursday night is that I'll be three sheets to the wind and I'll just be presuming that we've somehow won the game. Um, it's it's hard to see how we can possibly pick up anything in Frankfurt on Thursday night. Uh, we'll come up to the Frankfurt preview later on. Um, but he's right in that respect. The next two matches in particular uh, domestically are huge. We'll come on to those, one of those again in a minute or two. But um, let's, let's talk now about the manager because... It's fair to say Robson is becoming increasingly under pressure week by week as things go at the moment. His post-match comments again after the game on, on Saturday, once again, um, let's call them frustrating, shall we? Because claims he doesn't want to use excuses, then lists a myriad of excuses. And at one point, claimed that the heckin' game took it right out of us. Uh, that was 16 days prior to the game against Hearts. Um he we fly the wrong way to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look at a map, you go right. Did we go left? Maybe I don't know. Like, uh, um, <laughs> he is cutting the, the figure at the moment of a man who knows he's desperately under pressure, isn't he? Um, he's talking. He's contradicting himself. I thought you were going to say pro- something else there, Gav. <laughs> because pro- after Hibs, the international break was nearly a good thing. Mm-hmm. So we get the boys together and work on shape and you know, they're rolling, blah, blah, blah. And now it was a bad thing because so many of them are away. Um, yeah, just again, like you can't you can't say I'm not going to use this as an excuse and then rattle off a bunch of excuses like you say. He's, At least it wasn't hot on Saturday. He's sounding, yeah, very much like the classic manager in the instance where he knows his time is coming to an end. And again, the problem is just simply I don't think he... I'm really saddened by this whole thing because I thought we had it. I thought we cracked <laughs> the code this time. I, I'm I'm thinking back to the back end of last season where Gav was absolutely convinced that Barry oh, not, was... not even the back end of last season. Go back by February. I'm probably advocating for him. Because <laughs> um, I thought he was going to be a really good manager. The most surprising thing about all of this is like, you, you typically, I don't know if this actually like bears up to scrutiny, but you expect football teams to be sort of made in their manager's image. And when it comes to battle, I just think hard work and upholding standards were like what he did to like make the career that he did and it's just it's so opposite to what i expected i mean the record is here gad will read off in a second the evidence is here that what we're doing isn't working and yet we're just continuing the same old formula okay let's do the record now and then i'll ask the the big pertinent question in a minute um so since becoming permanent manager in all competitions his record now reads played 13 one two drew four lost seven 4-12 4-12 against 23. That's a win percentage of just 15% since he became permanent manager. And and those two wins came against the 10-man St. Mirren side and Sterling Albion in the League Cup earlier on. In the league since he became permanent manager, it's even more stark. Played 10, won 1, drawn 3, lost 6-4-7 against 17. That's a win percentage of just 10%. I mean, 10% would put him as the absolute lowest win percentage of any permanent Aberdeen manager of all time. Now, obviously, that's only taking into account when he was made permanent manager. If you look at his in-all-competitions record since he took over from Jim Goodwin, it's slightly better. Played 23, won 10, drawn 4, lost 9. So that's a win percentage of 43%, which is now, though, just slightly higher than his predecessor's 40%. Um, You kind of see this time and time again, don't you? Like Once a manager gets into this sort of a rut, it's extremely hard to pull out of it. Can Barry Robson turn this around um, from where we're at at this moment in time? 
<laughs> a big a shrug, shrug of the shoulders. shoulders. I, I, I have no idea. It's the honest answer. I mean, it's not really a question. It's not really a question anyone can answer. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, do I want him to turn around? Obviously. Um, but I feel like we're going to have to see almost like an acknowledgement or acceptance for him that there is something wrong that needs to be changed because you're not. So ignoring the interviews, you know, you're, it's just generic media crap, you know, not under pressure. You know, you are, and as it should be. And any manager is under pressure, but any average manager on that sort of run is going to be under pressure. So you all know all that. Um, but there's got to be some sort of evidence on the pitch for me that we're trying to do something different. You know, the, I know it's really, it is a relatively short sample size, but if you just look at what we've had this season alone, I can't think of any second half um, of Hecken probably aside. At no point does it look like we've turned it around in game or we have been playing well and dominating the game and just it's not it's not been our day. Because you do get those days. All I'm seeing is a style I don't like, albeit that's not the most important thing for me. Set of results I don't like, and no evidence that we're actually starting to put the pieces together. It's not like we're starting to get footholds in games. I mean, that's another game where we're talking about just getting overrun in the midfield. Um, and then you're into, well, when you look at that squad and the deficiencies we think are there in terms of, you know, whether it's Povara, there's no cover for him, whatever it may be, there's just a problem for whether it's him or anyone. And I'm not sure that squad is balanced That's really, to get what we want. Yeah. Gaff, can he turn it back around? I mean, like I said, I think genuinely once a manager gets into this sort of rut, it's really hard to pull it back, to pull the wheels up on this thing. What's your feel? I mean, you 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 were probably the strongest of the three of us advocating for Robson. Yes. Um, I acknowledge that. Can he? Is he capable? I think he showed in January that he was capable of turning around another manager's misfortunes I think the question will be does he have the kind of personality to acknowledge as Graham just said that what he's done so far this season isn't working and it's maybe a subtle thing but I think just not even including Bajouin in the European squad and keeping Shane Morrison there seems to be um, a sign of someone who thinks that it's his way, you know, or you're out the door. Um, I'm very, very concerned. I expected some, maybe not expected, that's probably being disingenuous. I think I wanted to see something different against Hearts. And then we just lined up exactly um, as we did and predictably lost. Um, like Graham said, like a number of people said, if there was a, I wouldn't mind genuinely if we became a very agricultural long ball team if we got the players in the team to play that kind of football but what we've done is we've collected you know again we signed Leighton Clarkson on a permanent contract in the summer Leighton Clarkson's from a technical perspective one of the best players in Scotland and we are just not using him if we wanted to become you know a ticka-taka kind of team and that I thought maybe that's why I was Richard Jensen, because we got told he was a ball-playing player. We had McGarry, a very good uh, wing-back. Hopefully Garterman can do a bit as well. 
but there's no point. But that's not what we're trying to do. We are just playing very percentage football and we're just wasting the talents of our best players in doing that. So the results haven't been good enough. There's been very few fleeting moments this season. Uh, as I mentioned, Hecken and uh, Hecken away and Celtic at home. Bar that, I mean, Hibbs at was an abomination of a performance. And it doesn't let Tynecastles any better. And we've already now lost two games in a row to teams that we're going to be in our in our heads competing with just to finish where we think we should finish in the table. Um, genuinely, my instinct says that he can't. And that really saddens me. I mean, style of play is one thing. And a lot of people, you know, will, will angry. I know you're very much on the, 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 the fence of don't really care too much about the style as long as we're winning games, right? Which is fair enough. That's totally a prerogative. I'm just looking through actually our, our stats at the moment for the season. So so far this season in the league, um, and it's only, it's only five league games, so it's you know it's not the it's not the biggest sample size available to us. But we've got a, a pass success rate in the league of sixty two point nine percent. Only Livingston, Ross County, St Mirren have got a lower pass success percentage rate than us in the league at the moment St Johnston have completed more passes successfully than we have so far this campaign now and people will sit there and go well it's all about whether you've got the money to spend on players and all that type of stuff and you know you're working on the budget and everything and that, that might be true to one extent but you then go and look at somebody like let's just pull them up because we played them not that long ago um, Hecken right so Hecken are not a team with a massive budget by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they're, they're not a big club in Swedish terms, by any stretch of the imagination. Hecken's average, their pass success rate in the Alsvin scan this season is 87.2%. They keep the ball, and as we saw um, in, the, in the two games against them, they play in a very front foot attacking manner as well, right the way through. That's not a team built on big bucks, big money. That's a team who took in a manager with a proven track record of playing in a particular way in Permatase Hogmo, stuck by him when things were a little bit ropey um, when he first joined them, and he delivered them a Swedish title, and they're in the Europa League now, and they're they're sitting all right in the, the Swedish League this season as well. You don't need big money to play a decent style of football either, do you? You need to just have players who are capable of doing it and coach them appropriately. And it's not... I'm not saying that's what we necessarily need to do because we kind of tried that but under Stephen Glass and it it ended up being passing for passing sake a lot of the time with Glass. But when you look back to what Hecken did to us, they didn't do a lot of passing for passing sake. Their passes were all with purpose, with a view of getting up the park, into the lines, quick, incisive build-up play and cutting through you. There's no reason why you can't do that on a budget. You don't need to have big, big bucks to play that way, do you? No, but it has to be something you want to do. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I take the point that I maybe the sort of idea that you can only play a passing game with multi-million pound players. I mean, you look at what, you know, City do, Man City with Guardiola and stuff, and when it clicks, you think that's pretty impressive. You're not going to do that. But yeah, to your point, you can pass the ball around. But that's where the stats are misleading, because under glass, we probably had loads of, you know, pass percentage com- completion was probably through the roof but it was utter shite because it wasn't going anywhere yeah you have to do it with a so it's difficult but yeah no but... I, 
I take the point being you can you can make a team that can try and play football without having a huge budget. And we it feels to me like we've got the nucleus of a team that could play some football, but I don't think we have that mindset or desire from the coaching staff at the moment. I mean, tonight, Hecken played, uh, who did they play tonight? They played Hamstars, right? They, beat, they won 3-2 tonight at home. Um, they had, Hecken had in that game tonight, 728 passes they made, 91% pass accuracy success rate in that game tonight. And, you know, 21 shots for goal. They did, they won 3-2. Oh, I was going to say, please tell me they lost. <laughs> they, did need an in- they did need an injury time winner to get there. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those teams I look at and I go, Hecken aren't a bit, they're not a big side. You know, they're, they're, they're not a wash with cash. This, okay, the Swedish league does make a little bit more, more money from a TV perspective um, than the Scottish Premier League does, but fucking hell, like, I don't know. that Stuff like that just goals me a little bit when I see that. And it's not as though we've scrimped. To no, put we this haven't. Squad together. I mean, let's make no mistake. We've spent a considerable, a considerable chunk of money putting these, uh, this combination of players in this squad and again I take the point about you know playing you know nice good attractive football but I think just what I'd come back to again is like that I don't think there's like I'm gonna sound like Sam Sam Aldis here (laughs) I would just like to see us play decide this is the style and if Bad Robson wants us to be a very combative aggressive direct team then build a direct team don't build this kind of halfway house thing we have right now where we've got very good technical players that we're just not using and which is taken away all of our width, by the way. Because as was mentioned, you know, Magari and Devlin were playing so narrow on on Saturday that just, we weren't even playing with wing backs. You're just and you just give your you just give your strikers absolutely no chance whatsoever. Speaking of that as well, I'm convinced we've taken the touchlines in at Pataudry. Um, I think we have. Yeah, I'm absolutely convinced we've done it. I think we spotted it during the Celtic game. Um, I've not really seen it flagged anywhere else. I, I was chatting to somebody else about it as well today, but I'm convinced the touchlines have come in, um, which obviously then negates width. Again, the, the touchline is definitely further away from the main stand. Definitely. On the main stand side, it absolutely is, because I think that could have been a European directive as well when they put the Astro in that there needs to be a minimum distance. But I don't think we've extended out on the south stand, if that makes any, to, to make up the difference, if that makes any sense. So, yeah, uh, curious, it's fair to say that if you decide to play 3-5-2 where you do need your wingers or your wingbacks to get up and down the line, that we've decided to tighten the pitch. As well, to an extent, um, I guess from, from where I am, I, it's a hard one. My general gut feels we can't possibly sack another manager so quickly. He should get some time. But the season's about to enter this like really critical phase and I just can't see it being turned around right now. I could... Probably have that view, and Graham touched on earlier on. If we were playing reasonably well, and we were just a bit unlucky, and certain things not quite breaking for us, but that's not even happening. Like we're just absolute dog shit to watch. That performance on Saturday was—I've seen a lot of Hearts fans be very kind of buoyed by their performance on Saturday, and I'm a little bit like I think Hearts fans need to be like need to check themselves on that because we were really poor, and I didn't think Hearts were that much better than us. Um, Rob Borthwick said himself that we're the worst team they've played all season and that's one of those tweets that you come back to thinking hang on but uh, no kind of when Homer wants to argue with Marge but saying the kids just like shake their head at him (laughs) (laughs) and a number like you know I think um, I mean Fowler and Sked I think alluded to the fact that we were 
woeful, and it was just we, an, we, an easy, we, we an were easy honking. game. There's, there's, there's no way you can deny that. But I didn't think Hearts would actually. No, we we that gave much Hearts, better. We gave, we gave Hearts the victory. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I kind of said on Twitter as well earlier today. For me, there's kind of shades of the mid nineties here because we look really rudderless just now. I'm not entirely sure how we're going to get around this. We keep rebuilding squad after squad, summer after summer. We've had a lot of big investment in the window that's just gone past with this idea that we can't be in a place where we've got all these lone players ever again and we don't want to do that. But then you run the risk of if Robson can't turn this around and we're into a massive kind of 10 days ahead of us now, you've got a bloated squad, unbalanced squad with players that potentially the next matter doesn't want who are all on big healthy contracts. Story of the last three, story of the last three years. But the, the for more worrying for me is this is the story back to the mid nineties, where this is an ingredient. This is all the ingredients to be a right fucking mess for us going forward. It's positive, isn't it? I say. Um, and again, I think it's probably worth mentioning that much like Glass and Goodwin, I'm not really even sure Robson's the biggest issue here. I mean, recruitment, just the direction of the club the last three years. I mean, it's the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster. <laughs> In the cinch, not a sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, uh, that feels like a conversation for another time because this has been bleak enough as, it's, as it has been tonight. Um, so huge, top down, yeah? No, I'm not even going to bother venturing that. Just now, a huge week, 10 days ahead. The county doubleheader in particular looks absolutely massive, doesn't it, right now? Um, I think the county cup game especially could be decisive. Will that do us for that part? Yeah, that's absolutely sucked the remaining enjoyment out of my weekend. There we go. Please, and thank you. I'll tell you what, Graham, those frames in the background with the Duke Tanneris goal and the Miofsky diving out of those are memories from a distant just, past. I was just <laughs> going to say, just transport you transport you to a different time, doesn't it? Yeah. When I watched um, the wee man Todd Loft, his football training yesterday morning was Duke 11 shirt on. I was just like, oh, hope he plays better than Duke today. <laughs> um, Right, on to other news from maybe 24 this week. The only real big news we've touched on already was the announcement that Danny Povara had signed a three-year contract extension. Gav's still shaking his head. Um, other than that, very little news. I can't think what business tie-up will have announced for Monday. Looking forward to it, because we've already done the funeral home one. Where do you go from here? Where do you go from there? I don't know. I'll leave you to ponder that one. They should have left that for a while. Indignitas would be the next one. Well... I don't know, some sort of coffin with an app. Everything has an app these days. <laughs> yeah, coffin with an app, just in case. Yeah, like a ring camera inside or something, just, just so you can check. Well, there we go. Anyway, onto the Quines. Um, a double header this week, which started off with a disappointing result in Edinburgh midweek as they lost 5-0 to Hibs in the capital, uh, sending off a Maddie Finney just after the hour mark. Not really helping things in that one. <clears throat> An injury to fake her be also a big blow. And then Sunday afternoon, saw the Quines host Celtic at the Balmoral. A first start for the Quines for 15-year-old Phoebe Murray. Well done, Phoebe. Round of applause there. Dropping out were Laura Holden as well as Faye Kirby, which meant Annalisa McCann came back into the sticks and the aforementioned Murray coming in. Spirited first half performance from the Quines saw chances for both sides before Celtic began to turn the screw. Their pressure eventually paying off with a goal five minutes from halftime as Craig nodded home after Addy's effort hit the post. And then again in the second half, the Dons putting up a real rear guard effort to try and keep Celtic at bay, but that was undone with 15 minutes remaining. Mengoose scoring at the front post before the visitors ran away with it in the final 10 minutes. Smith with a quick fire double, including one absolute raker, it's fair to say, from 30 yards out, which saw the game finish up 4 0 to Celtic. The Queens still remain in seventh spot on the table, level on points with Hearts and Partick Thistle after eight games. And also, congratulations. 
congratulations to Bailey Hutchison and Ailey Shore, whose early season form has seen them rewarded with a call-up to the Scotland under-23 squad. So well done to them. On to the young team. Another win for the Don's young team as they ran out by three goals to one winners over Motherwell on Tuesday afternoon. Goals from NM Fletcher Boyd and a first goal at this level for under-16 player Joseph Teasdale securing the win. Next up, Sevco Youth visit Cormac Park on Friday afternoon. Then on to Lone Watch, Kieran Nguenya at Partick Thistle. Nguenya started and played the full 90 minutes as Partick beat air by four goals still on Friday night in the Championship. Evan Towler at Montrose, no place in the squad again for Towler as Montrose beat just Edinburgh by five goals to two in League One. Of course, they're not just Edinburgh anymore, are they, Graham? They're back to Edinburgh City, aren't they? I believe so, but I don't know what day it'll be tomorrow. Yeah, there we go. Did they ever Adam, get their handle back? I don't think so. I think they lost it and never got it back again. It's quite funny. Unlike yeah, Hamilton Ackies, who currently have two. Yeah, I did see that. Um, I'd have thought they would have had bigger priorities than two social media accounts, but what would I know? There we go. Uh, Aaron Reed, an unused substitute. Peter Hedby, Bonnie Rig Rose, Athletic by two goals to one in League Two. Liam Harvey and Blair McKenzie, Elgin City starts for both and both lasted the full 90 minutes with Harvey grabbing Elgin's second goal as they won 2-0 against Greg Wildless Dumbarton in League Two. Is it time to break the jingle back out? Well, it's another set of fans to ask. Yes, we'll get Stephen Watt back again. <laughs> um, Dylan Lobbin and Adam Emsley for Martin United both started Adam Emsley scoring just after the hour Marcus for Martin ran out five no winners at Clack in the Highland League for Martin top of the table after eight games. Uh, not a good weekend for the locals once again. Finlay Murray, another start, another another 90 minutes for him as Tara beat Forest Mechanics by two goals to nil in the Highland League. Jaden Richardson, an unused substitute in the League Two Dons Lone Derby as Stockport County beat MK Dons by two goals to one at Milton Keynes in League 2 Anthony Stewart an unused sub on the other bench so perhaps they just sat there and compared notes about how much they hated their time at Pataudry I don't know or maybe they just did a professional video of their time on the bench anyway let's move on man spends his own money on something he wants Gary can't accept it (laughs) just find it very (laughs) odd never mind there we go will that do us for this half I think it will won't it please and thank you Okay, excellent. Join us after break. We'll look forward to our trip to Frankfurt and the visit of Ross County to the pit next Sunday. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And Siberia Bar and Hotel are pleased to announce their latest venture, Doe & Co. Brand new, freshly baked, handmade donuts coming to you from Belmont Street, Aberdeen to the grand opening on Friday the 1st of September 2023 make sure to check them out. Welcome back to the APZ Football Podcast. Uh, Before we move on, to preview our trip to Germany on Thursday, a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Bean and Coffee Fund. This week, again, we acknowledge you, we see you, we, your bread is appreciated if you'd like to help. Keep us fueled in beers, coffee, whatever, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash podcast. The link's in the description. Shout us that beer coffee. It is much appreciated. So, gents, 
One of the moments we've been looking forward to for pretty much the last 15 years since our exit from the UEFA Cup at the hands of Bayern Munich. The Dons enter a European competition proper for the first time as we kick off our Conference League Group G campaign with arguably the toughest test available in the competition away to Bundesliga. And I think I'm contractually obliged to call them cracks. Eintracht Frankfurt on Thursday evening. The Dons visiting the Deutsche Bank Park or more traditionally the Wallstadion for a second time in our history. Our last visit in October 1979 ending in a 1-0 defeat in the UEFA Cup first round second leg, which saw us depart the tournament by two goals to one on aggregate. Eintracht going on to win the UEFA Cup that season, the first of two triumphs in that competition, the last of those coming in 2022, of course, after a comprehensive smashing over Sevco in the final in Seville. The Dons yet to win a European fixture on German soil. It's fair to say, boys, that this is, on paper at least, the toughest away fixture, not just in our group, but also in the entire tournament, because Eintracht come into the tournament as the highest ranked side on a coefficient basis. Yes. Yes, but at least we're in good form. Oh, wait. <laughs> um, Eintracht, as we mentioned, they, they won the Europa League in 2022. Maybe didn't quite follow that up last season. Eintracht eventually finishing seventh spot in the Bundesliga, which is what eventually um, led to Eintracht finding their way into the Conference League. Although they did make it to the DFB Pokal final where they were beaten by RB Leipzig in the final. In Europe, though, last season, they did come through the group stage of the Champions League. Yeah, runners up to Spurs in Group D, beating out Sporting Club of Lisbon and Marseille in the process. They were then beaten 5 0 in aggregate by Napoli in the round of 16. There has been a change of manager slash head coach at Frankfurt over the summer. Dino Topmuller appointed in June to replace Oliver Glasner, whose contract was, well, depending on how you read it, not renewed or slash sacked. Top Muller was previously assistant to Julian Nagelsmann at both RB Leipzig and then at Bayern Munich until Nagelsmann was sacked at Munich last season. So I presume that also means that Top Muller was still being paid in the same way that uh, Nagelsmann currently is by Bayern Munich. Who knows? I was just about to say, I saw something the other day that said Nagelsmann's still on the payroll. Mm-hmm. That's a sweet gig. Not bad, is it? No, that's what you want. Prior to joining up with Nagelsmann, he had been a head coach in his own right, notably taking F91 Dudelang of Luxembourg into the group stages of the Europa League in 2018 as well. So looking at Frankfurt last season, their top goal scorer, of course, was Randall Kulomoane, who scored 23 goals across all competitions. He moved to PSG for 95 million euros on deadline day. Second top goal scorer was the midfielder Daiichi Kamada. He had 16 goals in all competitions. He went to Lazio in the summer as well. So between them, they made up uh, 39 of Eintracht's 80 goals scored in the season, which is obviously just shy of 50% of the number of goals they had last season have departed. No replacement brought in for Kolo Moani. We'll come and touch on that a little bit with Basti later on, but because the peculiarities of the European transfer windows closing at different times across the continent, the transfer window in Germany closed at 5pm, the transfer window in France closed at 11pm, PSG bought Colomuane after the German window had closed, so Eintracht are just sitting there with 95 million euros just burning a hole in their pockets that they can't actually fucking spend to buy anyone, so they've not actually bought in a replacement for him, um, although you'd have thought it would have been on the cards because he basically went on strike. Um, so I'm sure the directors of Frankfurt are absolutely gutted about that. Indeed, <laughs> time to bring in the dividends. Anyway, they've they've been pretty busy though. Still, it's fair to say in the transfer market, they've had fifteen players coming in. So presumably, uh, 
Tottenham will be using that as an excuse after Aberdeen win on Thursday evening. They've paid some sizable transfer fees as well. €9 million Euros on defender William Pachau from Antwerp, €7.5 on Hugo Larson from Malmo, €10 million on Faris Shaibi from Toulouse, €7.5 on Niels Nekwantku from St Etienne. And a nod to all of our listeners who like our wrestling and football chat, they've signed Leviathan himself, Davis Batista. Leviathan. Leviathan. What did oh, I just Leviathan. say? Leviathan. Oh, start that. That's the Jesus talking. fuck. <laughs> Is that how they pronounce it in the stick? <laughs> the demon of the deep, Leviathan. <laughs> Sorry, that's the drink, man. Honestly, Leviathan himself, Davis Batista from SD Aquas, which is unquestionably an amazing name. Uh, do you think he walks alone, Gav? In a pit of danger. I presume so. I well, hope he, when, oh. when he's got Rubazic coming through the back of him, <laughs> then he fucking will be. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm hoping um, that he enters the pitch just with a set of pyro. Graham's got no idea what the fuck's going on here. It's, it's amazing. Um, anyway, you so, like James Bond movies, don't you, Graham? He's a yes. he's, he's a he's a Bond villain, isn't he? No. One Batista? of the more recent ones. No, Dave Batista definitely is in a Bond movie. Is he? He's maybe not the bad guy, but he's like the henchman for the bad guy. Also, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. I know him from that. Also, Knives Out is quite funny. In, uh, Knives, Knives Out, Out is quite funny. Yeah, it's quite good in that, to be fair. Oh, he's an inspector. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Oh, dear. A wrestler, a wrestler got some respectable movie roles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway. unlike, unlike Dwayne. <laughs> what, Dwayne, more money than the world put together? Johnson. I don't yeah. think he's uh, too upset that he hasn't had a critical film role. Does not change the fact he's been in God knows how many Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's paying for his retirement. <laughs> paying for his second yacht, his retirement, his retirement yacht. Anyway, so far this season, Frankfurt, struggling for goals. We touched on it earlier on, and, and, and we'll come on to that get a little bit more with, with Basti as well. But played four, won one, drawn three, lost none so far in the Bundesliga. They scored four, conceded three. Um, last time out was a 1-1 draw at Bochum at the weekend. They progressed the Conference League groups via a playoff win against Levski Sofia. 3-1 on aggregate. There was a 2-0 win in Frankfurt for them there after a 1-1 draw in Bulgaria. Three draws, though, on the spin in the league. All 1-1. They do have the best defensive record in the Bundesliga, uh, averaging 0.8 goals conceded per game. They're seeing plenty of the ball. They've got the third highest Possession rating in the league, averaging 59.2%. Eric Ebembe scored the goal for Frankfurt on Saturday afternoon. He looks a real threat, play a place to burn. New signing Hugo Larson, who also came in from Malmo in the summer, is also impressed so far. In goals, Kevin Trapp, a hero of Scotland in that Europa League final back in 2022. He's also having a pretty strong start to the season as well. Um, putting it bluntly, it's a massive fucking task for us on Thursday night, isn't it? Um, best defensive record in the Bundesliga, third highest possession stats, uh, new striker with pace to burn. Uh, sounds like we've got this lot in the bag. Sounds like this is tailor made for Aberdeen. We're generally better when we're not the favourites. <laughs> that is a fact. Uh, yeah, Gavin and I were just chatting when Gary professionally left to get his laptop charger and saying, like, it'd be really, really tough anyway. But especially as we're not going into this with sort of that preseason, preseason optimism having carried forward, you know, and everyone's excited about the way we're playing the results. Where a team that's in a bit of a rut 
against the best team in the, the competition. So what was a tough game? It was a really tough game. Um, yeah, I think Aberdeen could have won every game we've played so far, played some scintillating stuff, and this would still require a bit of a medium-sized medical. So the fact that we're in an absolutely shambolic state is making this going to make this a very, very hard night for all involved. I, I mean, I heard a bit of a snippet of Robson's interview. I think it might have been with BBC Scotland this afternoon, and you know, his exact phrase was, "Hopefully, maybe we can nick a result." Um, I'm not entirely sure what nicking a result looks like right now, to be honest. Um, it, it would be a, frankly, gargantuan effort to consider coming away from Frankfurt with three points. I guess the big positive we have at the moment, he What's says, the, uh, it's like it's like three nil is the result if it's a forfeit. Yes, <laughs> I mean we could just go last Palmas and just not show up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Pretend our entire team got lost in an airport and uh, yeah. nick a 3 0 defeat, a respectable 3 0 defeat. I mean, all jokes aside, it's a gargantuan effort to even consider going there and try to get any sort of positive result, it's fair to say. Is the positive thing we can look at that, and we'll come to talk about with Basti in a minute, whilst they're dominating a lot of possession and they're, they're maybe. Um, playing some decent stuff they're not scoring a lot of goals he says waiting dramatically for that to change on Thursday evening you've seen our defence haven't you I have <laughs> I'm assuming your average Bundesliga team have better defenders than some of ours possibly I, I, all, all jokes aside I mean how how if you are bad or opposite, how do you decide to try and approach the game on Thursday night because it's you know you're right we come at this game with <laughs> limited confidence as it is um we can't really afford to take an absolute hiding on thursday can we because that just is going to have the 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 following effect of just dipping confidence even further but then you need to look at the fact that we have a massive gate massive couple of games sorry it's ross county coming up and the last thing you also want to be doing is chasing the ball for 90 minutes how do you how does he approach this what what do we do long ball <laughs> Just shell it. No one will be <laughs> running around in that midfield. Uh, no, it's a good question. Like, it does. It makes no difference to your chances of getting out of the group, whether you get battered or not. Because I'm pretty sure Frankfurt will beat everyone until the point where they're wrapped up and maybe rest. So you might get a couple of odd results against them towards the end. Like, so from our point of view, any desire to get out of the group is not going to be. It's not going to make a difference what we get or don't get on. Thursday because I'm pretty sure they'll beat everyone but I know I mean, if you go there and try and do something and take an absolute hiding just ramps up the pressure the complaints from people like us and it's obviously not really good for team morale either but if you go there and try and be stuffy and you still get scudded that's also not a great look in some ways I imagine if you're a player that's harder to maybe harder to take if you say like, we went there to make it difficult and we still go battered it's maybe easier to look back if you said, oh, well, we gave them space and we tried to go toe-to-toe and we got battered. So I don't know what you would do, actually. I feel like you may as well just try and, I was going to say, have a go. But the way we're playing, <laughs> it's like the way we're playing, like you see it in the league, you know, we, we just give the ball back to the opposition by shelling it because we're not. Yeah. So if you're giving them the, the ball all of the time, it's going to be an even longer night than it probably would be anyway. So I'm not... It's an interesting perspective from that, isn't it? Because on one hand, you go, we need to go like 5-4-1 and low block and make it as difficult as possible for them and be yeah. niggly 
and be really combative in the midfield. But at the same time, you also then go, you kind of want to keep a hold of the ball though when you get it. Well, like, you don't want to be shelling the ball up the park. So you kind of want your it. ball players in the midfield. And it's like, ah. I think that is the that is the conundrum. Do you... The noise I've just you, made there is Barry Robson's brain right now. Do you back your midfielders to be able to keep a hold of the ball and if it's trying to set your team up to allow them to get a football into the game? Or do you take the view that it's not happening, we're just going to try and get rid and see what happens? And I, I think if you just try and shell it, we're seeing it in the league against vastly inferior teams to Frankfurt where all we're doing is giving the ball back to them and inviting them to to come and attack you. I just don't see how that can possibly pay dividends against a better team. You guys remember the 460 against the Czech Republic? Oh, the old Levine special. Let me talk to you. <laughs> 640. Nice. Oh, yes. Well. <laughs> yeah, four's a, four's a bit bravado, isn't it, though? Oh, you, 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 you give Jamie McGrath license to kill, and you know he'll be in there snapping at the tackles all day. The good thing is we have signed plenty of centre-halves, so... It's That's possible, true, actually. Have, have you ever seen do it? Have you ever seen a team play four centre halves and yet still have two full back to either side of them before? <laughs> well, now you have. I I genuinely think we're damned, whatever way we go about this game. Honestly, <laughs> no. I th- I think unfortunately you are. If, if we if I we try and go toe to toe, I think they'll take us apart. And if we just sit off and let them come at us, I've not seen any evidence so far suggest that our defence are capable of withstanding that for. 28 minutes, never mind 19 minutes against a team the standard of Frankfurt. Genuine question here, right? Because it just hit me just now. Um, it feels as though you can't, you kind of can't play Duke on Thursday night in the form he's in, and also you can't really afford to carry any sort of player who's really not at the races, right? So do you drop him out, obviously, to play one of your further centre halves, right? But then at the same time, do you also look at the bigger picture and you go, we've got two massive games against Ross County coming up. And do you even take Miofsky out and you go with, like, by all accounts, it looks like we signed Papi Habib Gay because he has a bit of physical presence about him up top. And therefore, do you stick him up top by himself or maybe even Esther Sokler? But then you have the, the, the other issue with doing that, which is you've presumably convinced the likes of Duke and maybe Miofsky to hang around for another season because they're going to get a chance to put themselves in a shot window by playing group stage European football. And then the biggest game that we're going to have in terms of, you know, audience basically. audience on it, you're taking them out. <clears throat> what does that do for morale from that perspective? Like, it's a really difficult balance here, isn't it? Difficult to approach this game in every single facet <laughs> almost. By the way, I saw, um, I saw a Pappy um, cycling up Union Street the other day. No, 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 please no. Did he push me? Did he have a helmet on? Well, I guess technically speaking, he was cycling down Union Street. He was, uh, he'd, oh, God, you've, op- you've opened a can of worms here now. Oh, there's, no, there, there's no can of worms. The, the fucking street's on a hill. <laughs> there can only be the bottom of the top of a hill. Uh, yeah, I think he'd gotten something from uh, Brett. So we're also paying him big bucks. And he was then cycling on his way back down. So was he wearing a helmet and was he laden or rather adorned with merchandise from the club shop in some sort of movie? He was not riding the Coca-Cola Stephen Glass bike, if that's what you're asking. Uh, (laughs) Did he have his bag from Pret just like dangling over his handlebars? Over the handlebars, yes, he did. Until he gets caught in the spokes. (laughs) He did. For for fuck's sake. Um, As for the other question, I um, am... No comment. (laughs) Well, that's a no then. (laughs) 
I don't recall if he was wearing a helmet or not. <laughs> Great. Well, well, lovely stuff. So um, not only is he mad for his nutritious snacks, he doesn't even look after his safety. <laughs> Anywho, um, I think we're all agreed. Massive task on Thursday night, Graham. The good thing is you and I will be heavily laden in booze by this Mortals. point, I think. <laughs> I've suddenly realised that taking the standing area might not have been the best idea. Having a seat that I could just have a sleep in might have been a better shout. I hope, I'm sure everyone that's <laughs> With there will just... With your capacity for alcohol, you'll be spewing the ring up in the toilet anyway. <laughs> Stomach pumped before kickoff. <laughs> um, I hope everyone that's there... <laughs> Has a you know, good old time. <laughs> no, so just it's going to be tough. Let's just give a good account of ourselves as fans. Hopefully, the team will give us something to get behind, and let's just try and do our bit. Albeit it's a small part you can play as fans. You know, we're we've been wanting to get into Europe for years. It's something meaningful. You know, not just qualifiers. So don't make arses of ourselves on or off the pitch, and let's just hope we can give the team. I can't guarantee I'll not be an arse myself off the pitch. Well, um, and yeah, likewise. Steele, and if Graham Steele does, everyone, you know what he looks like, so feel free to film, record that moment. Oh, of course, that's what we do these days, isn't it? Just record Gavin random people. Gavin can't talk after his incident in the hotel lobby of Groningen. Exactly. The lobby? Well, outside. The hotel. Oh, it was outside. It was outside next to the, the, the ditch <laughs> at the front door, thank you very much. Some, some poor people just coming back from a lovely romantic evening. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you can probably all imagine what Gavin was doing. Hey, 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 that, that was not my fault. That was uh, our fellow travelling compatriot and his fucking five litres of three pound, three euro prime beer. Um, yeah. Big question, one one final thing, because you know how like we're a massive club. <laughs> uh-huh. Do we go full-blown Cottonell? Do we start Ross Dewan? <laughs> oh, a European keeper. Bring in our European goalkeeper. <laughs> Fuck it, why not? What's the worst that could happen? Where does Robson play him, though? <laughs> In the uh, six. The right, right side of centre-back. The right, right back. Okay. Uh, anyway, right, so to, to get the down low on our opposition, we spoke to Basti Roth. What a great name. From the largest Eintracht Frankfurt podcast on the market, their Eintracht podcast, to get the low down on our opponents and what to do in frankfurt basti welcome to the abz football podcast how's it going hi there thanks for having me no the pleasure is all ours we were just laughing just before we started recording there about um the fact we're recording this a little bit in advance um of, of next week's game and there's like a bit of irony in the sense that um we're trying desperately to rush through this a little bit because scotland are away to play england shortly and they obviously germany are away to play france shortly so we both want to kind of get on to to go and see what's happening with our with our respective national teams i think uh no uh, i i just uh i was ready to record it during the game so you know uh it says a lot about my support for the german team so <laughs> it's not going too well at the moment that's for sure um <laughs> Listen, Basti, before we before we start properly talking about the game next week, it's always um, good just to get a little bit of background about kind of yourself. So obviously, an Eintracht Frankfurt fan. I mean, what would you, what, who who would you say is probably the, your favourite player to have ever played for, for Eintracht? And what would you say also would be your favourite game? Well, that's a tough question. Um, my favourite player of all time is JJ Okocha. Um, he's, he was a, a midfielder from Algeria who 
who was a young player when I was very, very young and came to Eintracht Frankfurt as a young kid. So he impressed me with all the dribblings and all the stuff. And yeah, I, I met him just uh, one, two months ago and he's still my hero. So uh, I would say JJ Okocha and my favorite game is obviously the European Cup final. Of course. What yes. else should it be? What else should it be? It. I have to say it. <laughs> so Thursday night um, sees the Europa Conference League kick off. Uh, Aberdeen traveling to Germany to take on Eintracht Frankfurt in our opening group Group G tie. The Dons visiting the Deutsche Bank Park, or let's call it the Wallstadion, shall we? Yes, for the let's second call it the time, let's call yeah, it for the second time in our history, uh, our last visit in October 1979, ending in a 1-0 defeat in the UEFA Cup first round second leg, which saw Aberdeen depart the tournament 2-1 on aggregate. Eintracht, of course, going on to win the UEFA Cup that season, the first of two triumphs in Europe for Eintracht, the last, of course, coming in 2022 after a, let's call it a comprehensive victory, shall we, against Rangers in the final in Seville. Now, I guess as well, we kind of touched on just a minute ago, but what was your kind of reflections, like recollections of that final back in 2022? And were you aware of the fact that pretty much the entire population of Scotland um, were also well behind Eintracht for that one? Yeah, yeah, I get some messages from some Celtic fans and all this stuff. So it's like it's it's like Bayern Munich in in Scotland. So no one likes Bayern, so no one likes the Rangers. But I have to say, it was kind of an appropriate final because there was RB Leipzig was also in the semi final, and it would have been a disaster. So we were glad that the Rangers uh, came to the final because RB Leipzig is like it's like a nut of a club for us. So it's it would be very very difficult to play against them. Um, yeah, I don't remember so much because I was so so nervous. It wasn't a, it wasn't a delight to, to watch the game. We had uh, the uh, game against Barcelona's where it was a fun day. We didn't have any expectations. You were with your friends. The weather was good, but at the final it was all about getting through and the nerd. Yeah, it's, it was it was no joy to to watch the game. It was it was hard hard work for all the body for everything and. Yeah, I I don't remember anything. I didn't watch one penalty from a Frankfurt player. I only watched the penalties from the Glasgow players because I couldn't couldn't uh, look on the pitch. Yeah, it wasn't a great watch. I'll be honest, as an Aberdeen fan, when when they went one nil up either. But um, <laughs> listen, Basti, on behalf of everybody associated with Aberdeen Football Club, thank you once again for just making <laughs> sure that um, that it. didn't go the end uh, the wrong way for us that night. Um, Aberdeen have have never won a European fixture on German soil. Uh, it's fair to say that this is on paper for us. Um, obviously the toughest away fixture in our group, but it's probably the the toughest away fixture anybody could have faced in the tournament because Eintracht do come into the, the tournament as the highest ranked team uh, on a coefficient basis, if nothing else. And, you know, we touched on it a minute ago, Eintracht obviously won the Europa League in 2022. Perhaps didn't quite, follow that up last season it's, it's maybe fair to say Eintracht eventually finishing seventh in the Bundesliga um, which is the reason why you found your way into the Conference League although you were as you touched on there um, runners up to RB Leipzig in the DFP Pokal and then Europe did pretty well in the Champions League initially coming through the group stage of, of uh, the Champions League runners up to Spurs in Group D um, beating Sporting Club and then Marseille in the process but then beating 5-0 on aggregate by Napoli in the round of 16 I mean before we come on to this season and talking about the game um, on Thursday night, 
how did you feel last season went? Because you would have come into that season with a lot of optimism and expectation, I think, having won the Europa League. Um, and then the Cups did okay, but yeah, that league finished perhaps maybe not quite as high as you'd have hoped. No, no, no. I have to say um, we, we are Eintracht fans. We know where we came from. So uh, we, we suffered a lot. We, before we won the, the local cup in uh, 2018, there were 30 years of complete disasters. You know, when I was a kid, Eintracht was a team who could be expected to win the local championship here in Germany. That's what, that's what I grew up with, with J.J. Okocha and all the players. And then after that, say, we got relegated two, three, three, two or three times. We uh, were kind of a shitty club. So we have all the fans and a tradition, but we never won something. And we never expected to win anything. And we thought that 2018 was the climax of all that. It's like we made our peace with our club and they finally won something in a very dramatic way with the 3-1 from Gacinovic, where he was 70 meters, uh, walked through an empty net goal. But uh, we did not know that this was just the beginning of all what happened after that. So we are still Eintracht fans. We still know every, everything can go wrong because we're not a financial club like Leverkusen, Leipzig, Bayern, Dortmund. So it's not it's not natural for us to qualify for the Europa League, for the Champions League. So I would say last season went went okay. It's it's a normal Eintracht season. We are, went ahead in the group in the Champions League, which was surreal for us to hear the Champions League. It was the first time for us too. So uh, we gained much more than we expected. But there were some, yeah, there was some trouble uh, off the field, you know. We had the, the coach and the manager didn't get along so well. And that what that's what I think about when I think about the last season. So uh, we had our, our European Cup coach with Glasner getting sacked because he, yeah, he had a problem or the manager had a problem with him. So it was kind of a rocky season. And we know that this uh, last season was a new start. And this season will also be a new start because Eintracht Frankfurt... Yeah, we'll lose our good players every season. So every year is the same. So it's yeah. kind of a fresh start. We'll come with that in a second as well, but some of the players you have lost um this summer. I was just I was just laughing, um, smiling wryly, I think, at the this the the fact it sounds as there's a lot of parallels, I think, between Aberdeen Football Club and Eintracht from that perspective about you perhaps, you know, maybe not expecting an awful lot and there's been those barren years in particular, and then finally get something over the line um, in recent years. It would just be good if Aberdeen could potentially try and kick on a little bit as well um, and, and progress a little bit further in, in Scottish football, for sure. But you just touched there, um, Basti on the manager or the head coach. Um, so, obviously, Oliver Glasner, who, as you say, um, was the head coach who won the Europa League for you guys in 2022, his contract not renewed at the end of last season or sacked, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, Dino Topmuller coming in uh, at the start of this season. Now, Topmuller was previously assistant to Julian Nagelsmann at both RB Leipzig and then at Bayern Munich until Nagelsmann was sacked last season. Now, prior to joining up with Nagelsmann, he had been a head coach in his own right, notably taking uh, F91 Dudelanga of Luxembourg into the group stages of the Europa League in, in 2018. Obviously, it's still very early days at the moment in the season. Um but what are your kind of thoughts on on your new manager, Top Muller? Do you think he's going to be somebody who can hopefully kind of continue to to progress Eintracht? It's kind of a tough question because, as you said, it's only three games. It was a rocky summer. Um, the transfer, the deadline day was about uh, uh, two weeks ago. We lost Muani, our biggest player. So we, I think we have to be patient with the new coach because he's also a young coach. You had, you said it. It's like it's it's like its first big position as a. Uh, as the, the main coach. So 
we, we like him here because he's the son of a former Eintracht coach, uh, Klaus Topmüller, and he has a history. He played for Eintracht about one season. He scored some 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 important goals when we were in the second division to to get to the Bundesliga again. So he has a history with uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. But yeah, the the first games, yeah, I I don't I don't know what to say about them because Moani played in all the, in the most of these games, and it's a whole different team. And we didn't create a lot of chances because he's kind of in a safety first mode at the moment. I don't know where it will develop. So it's hard to say. We are, uh, we're very, uh, we're in, in Frankfurt, nobody knows what to expect from this squad. So because it's a young squad, it's a young coach, it's a young manager, all the uh, staff is, is young. So I, I think we have to be patient uh, to get to know the the young team and the new players and we don't have a striker so will be a tough season yeah i was going to touch on that then because it's and i hadn't shared with you any of my questions before we started but that's a good segue to this um because last season's top goal scorer we just touched on him there randall kolomoani uh, scored yes. 23 goals across all competitions he's now moved to, to paris Saint-Germain for 95 million euros is the kind of rumored fee um, obviously just terrified about the prospect of playing Aberdeen, I can see um, there. <laughs> um, and then your second top goal scorer last season, the midfielder, uh, Japanese midfielder, Daichi Kamada, who had 16 goals in all competitions, he's moved to Lazio. So between them, you know, they just scored. And Jesper Lindström has also gone to uh, Naples. So. Yeah, exactly. So but, but even just between Muani and Kamada, just those two players alone, they scored 39 of Eintracht's 80 goals last season. That's, you know, nearly, yes. nearly 50% of goals have disappeared. It's a big mess. And as you said, when I, when I went back and looked across your activity in the transfer market this summer, very active, 15 players have come in with some big transfer fees being paid, but not really a sign of a a replacement for Muani, certainly kind of coming in the door. Do you think that's going to be a, a, a big challenge think, to fill that gap in terms of just goals? That's not a, yeah, it's it's a big, big, big problem. The deadline day was a disaster because uh, here in Frankfurt, the transfer window closed at... Um, 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. and in France it was 11 p.m. so he went to to PSG about 8 p.m. so we, we we sold him because he refused to come back and he yeah he kept it was kind of in a messed up style with him and the uh, advisor from Dembélé is the same guy and we all know how that went when Dembélé went from Dortmund to Barcelona so it was kind of in the same fashion so it was the most worst way this last day of the transfer window could happen for us because we got all the money, but we couldn't get a replacement. Yeah. So, but it was kind of fucked up situation and it is like it is because we don't have a replacement. We have two young strikers who, in my opinion, aren't very, uh, hurricane like strikers. I don't know the, 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 the term for, 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 for a big goal scoring striker. It's like in Germany, we say killer. So it's like, you know, who scores, who can, guarantee you 10 to 15 goals a season so yeah. we have kind of a the, kind of a quick strikers uh but we don't have any strikers who can score uh, a header so that will be a tough tough challenge for a young coach with a young team so there's a lot of red flags who can develop into to trouble but you have to deal with the situation like it is right now because it is like it is we couldn't kept muani because he was he fucked up with the team. The team didn't want him back. So I think as a, a club like Eintracht, you had to take the money. And now you can see like 
make it through winter and react then. So, but now is now. Yeah, and historically as well, the January transfer window is never an easy one to deal in anyway, and especially not if you as a club, everybody in Europe will know you've got 95 million euros burning <laughs> a hole in your pocket to spend yeah. on somebody. Um, we just touched on there, you've been pretty busy though in the transfer market. 15 players have come in with some decent transfer fees being paid out as well. You know, 9 million euros on uh, William Pacho from Antwerp, uh, 7.5 million on Hugo Larson from from Malmo, 10 million of Faris Shabby from Toulouse. You know, uh, there is a lot of players coming in to Eintracht this season. Um, from what you've seen so far, and again, I know it's, it's very early, it's only three games in the Bundesliga season, a couple of Europa Conference League games. Who so far have you been kind of impressed by that you've you've brought in? Um, I have to say in the early point, in the early stage of the season, it's, but uh, he made, it made a very decent impact. It's Hugo Lasson. He's a 19-year-old midfielder. He's kind of a box-to-box midfielder, and that's what we were missing last season. And he's only 19, and he came in in the second game, and from now on he plays. He's on the pitch and plays well, and everybody likes him. And he's kind of a he's kind of a shy personality. He's like a cool guy. I I, I know it's inappropriate, but I a little bit you can compare him from from style on the field and off the field, like Kevin De Bruyne, mm-hmm. like like a humble guy. And I think uh, this is the most interesting player, but. The other players you uh, talked about, Pacho and Chaibi as well, they're also uh, some some good prospects. So Eintracht Frankfurt has a very, very young, talented team. And there's a lot of fantasy you can have on these players, what they will develop as a team. But someone has to score the goals, you know. It's like we had the the first three games in the Bundesliga and we played very well till uh, the box. And uh, from there, nothing happened. So it's like, I think we... Grew up a little bit about systematics and all the tactics, but someone has to score goals, and that's not changing it. it no matter what future tactic you will uh, you will develop, so you have to score goals, and that's one of the biggest question marks in my head. Uh, how Dino Topmala will solve this problem? Let's just talk about Conference League quickly. Then, um, obviously, came into the group stages by beating Levski Sofia in the playoff round. Um, where do you think? You know, a lot of teams, a lot of teams in the last two seasons since the Conference League has come in, um, particularly from the bigger countries, you know, so the top five especially, I think have viewed the Conference League with a bit of derision and viewing it maybe as a little bit of a, a pain more than anything else. Um, but where do you think, you know, what what will Eintracht's, you know, where will they prioritise the Conference League, do you think, in terms of their overall hopes and aspirations for the season going ahead is it something that they'll want to go quite deep into do you think look even with aspirations to win it because at least it, if, if you win it you're into the europa league guaranteed next season uh, in eintracht frankfurt uh, I, as i said we know where we came from where we come from and it's called uh, we say in frankfurt we have a we have a chant it's like eintracht frankfurt international so we appreciate all european games no matter what uh have a competition it is so it feels like europa uh, like the uefa cup you know it's like for us it's european uh, games and i think for the club it's not that attractive because there's not so much money involved as in the champions league or the europa league but it's uh, uh good for fans so i was really uh looking forward to the to the uh to the draw where the group stages uh because um it's the possibility to play against clubs like yours you know like when I saw what's possible, I I I I wish that we play in Scotland. So 
It's like they're where it's some traditional clubs like Levski Sofia. We wouldn't play against Levski Sofia if, if it wasn't for the Conference League. And it's a traditional club. They have very loud fans. They have a tradition. You can feel it in a city. You can feel it's a real football club. And I expect the same from you guys. So, you know, it's like, it's for us, it's better to play against Aberdeen against RB Leipzig or some Chelsea club or some Disneyland Tottenham Stadium. You know, it's like for, for supporters, I think the Conference League is highly attractive because there are a lot of decent clubs. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the, it's the interesting part now because obviously we dropped in because we lost out in the Europa League playoff round. Um, and it would have been great on one hand to, to play some of the teams who are in the Europa League. Um but at the same time, I think I, I also look at the Conference League this season in particular and I go, there's some really historic European yes. football clubs um, yeah. in the Conference League this season who you may not get the opportunity to play in, in group stage Europa League or even Champions League these days. And it actually opens up that avenue. So, um, I mean, in terms of the group itself, you must have been pretty happy, I would imagine, with with the way the draw panned out. You could have ended up with, a, with some very tricky ties out of pot two and pot three in particular. And it looked to me on the face of it, that's about as good a draw as maybe you guys could have been hoping for. Yeah, I think we, despite having a striker, we all, uh, nevertheless, we should win the, the group. That's kind of an attractive attractive away games in Helsinki and Thessaloniki and Aberdeen. So it's it's an attractive uh, group from the names, but uh, on the pitch, you have to win the group. So if you have ambitions as Eintracht Frankfurt, and I think we have, um, I, I think we will win the group and then we'll see what where 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 it will take us because you uh, mentioned the uh, UEFA coefficient. It's like we are the top team ranked in these numbers because Juve wasn't allowed to play in the yeah. competition. So at least we, we should make it through winter in the in the competition and maybe win the thing with uh, one or two new strikers then. There you go. That's it. That, that, that's, the, that's the aim, I suppose. I mean, again, it's, it's hard maybe to, to talk about this a little bit too much now because you guys are very much in that transition phase with Tote Muller coming in and it's maybe not quite too clear, quite so clear right now what sort of style of play we can expect to see from Eintracht Frankfurt on, on Thursday. I think it's, yeah, I think it's safety first and a lot of possession. So Eintracht has a lot of possession. And they're playing very well from box to box and we were very stable at the defense. But as I said, um, we have to we have to give much, much, much effort to create chances right now. You know, it's like uh, there was not many uh, uh, shots on target involved on both sides in our games. You know, it's like we played 1-1, 1-0, 1-1. So it's not, not high scoring games at the moment because I think Top Mother will stabilize everything and develop it uh, on a slow way so it's not that attractive for fans but probably it's the right thing to do with the young squad to stabilize them and not being in like games like 4-4-5-3-4 but it's not that attractive but we're, we're expecting a little bit progression on that when we are going before you guys we play at Bochum yeah which is also a traditional uh match in a cool stadium, a real football stadium, and a very cool away away end. So we expect that they have a solution on the in the last two weeks where no Bundesliga was that will create a little bit more chances at the games. But from now on, I would say it's possession and safety. Interesting. Anyway, right, Bassi, let, let's move on to the more important bits. Um, there's going to be nearly three thousand Aberdeen fans um, expecting to travel for this one, so. If you could, um, 
very quickly some kind of recommendations, I guess, for you know bars, places to to have a drink, hang out during our days in 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 your city. I have to say, it's not that far. You have to go to the central station, and there's a yeah, it's kind of a shop we can buy liquor. It's called Yok Yok. It's uh, Y O K Y O K, and there's a the famous Turkish Frankfurt legend Alpa, and you can grab some international beers, some local beers, and hang around like uh, on the street and yeah enjoy the central station district and it's easy from there to uh, reach the stadium and um, frankfurt is looking forward to have you guys i have to say that uh, you hear a lot about frankfurt fans and they were aggressive but not with everything so we are looking forward for you to come i uh, already booked my flight to you Excellent. so i will be i will be in scotland too because as i said we are lo really looking forward to play real clubs because in the bundesliga there are not so many clubs uh left because we have Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Leipzig, Leverkusen, Augsburg, Mainz and so you know we're really looking forward to international games and especially uh cool clubs like you I have to say. <laughs> Excellent great stuff Bassi well listen when you travel to Aberdeen we will make sure to um shout you a, a pint of of lovely Scottish beer I'm sure Perfect. and um hopefully when we can hopefully we get a chance to catch up with you next week as well when we're in Frankfurt. Uh, to, to get your stein if nothing else for your troubles and joining us this evening as well Perfect. so Basti all the very best all in all it should be a cracking few days in Germany for the Aberdeen support thank you so much for giving us your thoughts on the game I'm going to put you on the spot though Basti what do you think the score is going to be on Thursday I think it would be a, it will be a 1-0 for us Oof, there we go 1-0 excellent alright Basti much appreciated mate thank take you care. for having me we'll, we'll catch you on the other side cheers bye bye the best thing there is that I basically said, what's the best thing to do in Frankfurt? And Basti's advice was effectively to go to what is the equivalent of an off-license and buy beer and just go and get drunk in the streets. So there we go. Um, looking forward to it. Um, after hearing all that, I think, you know, obviously Eintracht are in a, in a slightly odd position um, themselves, new manager, they're not quite clicking yet in front of goal, et cetera, et cetera. But after all that, um, Gavin Graham, would you like to venture a prediction for Thursday evening? No. <laughs> that was going to be my answer but I wasn't sure it was an option I should have just said it first shouldn't I yeah uh, I don't know I don't know I probably won't remember much of it uh, the tactics rule books are going to be rewritten the 6-4-0 is going to come up Trump's respectable 1-0 defeat if we could keep it not to be an embarrassing scoreline hopefully we can actually go and show that there's something about us I know we have not seen it really Today in the league, and I don't mean we're going to control the game, but if we could have some spells, we'll fucking we can, turn up for the books. That well, it'd be pretty sweet. But if we could have some periods where we can put some moves together, put some pass together, maybe give them something to think about, might just give us all a bit of a boost as we go into a pretty big double header. Um, you know, if we could see something a bit more encouraging against a, a really good team, then I'm hoping that might give us just something to cling on to for the next couple of games. Nails just like that, but notice Graham didn't actually give us a prediction. Yeah, I was hoping I was suitably vague and waffly that you would have forgotten about that. No, nah, no, nah, don't worry, mate. I got that. Um, in politician style, I think a game of football will be played. <laughs> uh, fuck it, Eintracht Frankfurt one, Aberdeen two. Madness, madness indeed. No, if that uh, does come off, by the way, if that came off, uh, I'd be a very, very rich man if I decided to put any money on it. I must admit, Eintracht Frankfurt at minus four looks very, very appealing. That's all I'm going to say. Um, let's move off of that one then. As, as weird as it sounds, um, 
perhaps this week our biggest game is not against Eintracht Frankfurt. It might be against Ross County. Um, there's a sentence I never thought I would ever utter. Because Sunday afternoon sees the return of Cinch Premiership action with a visit of the mad racist Malky McKay's Ross County to Pitodre. Um County currently sitting six in the table. After a 1-1 draw with Livingston on Saturday, they've currently got a record in the league of played five, one, two, drawn one, lost two, four, six against seven. County with just one defeat in their last five games, so they're in not bad form. That was a 2-0 defeat at home to Sevco. And um, after only just scraping top flight survival last season in what was quite possibly the most entertaining of all the relegation playoff fixtures from the Premiership in recent years that didn't involve Dundee United, um, maybe not quite the regular close season of significant turnover of players you expected to see at Dingwall. Only really Keith Watson, Alex Jacoviti, uh, Ryan McLennan and William Accio, the kind of notable departures this season. Incoming, they've signed Scott Allardyce from Inverness Cali, Josh Reed from Coventry City, Kyle Turner from Park Thistle, Jay Henderson from St Mirren, James Brown, not the James Brown, from Blackburn Rovers, Will Nightingale from Wimbledon, Ryan Leask from Salford City, and then Eamon Brophy, the Wolf himself, making his move from St Mirren permanent. And so far uh, this season, Mackay's been actually quite flexible in terms of shape, although not necessarily uh, racial tolerances. He's played um, a different style of kind of 4-4-2, a 3-5-2, and latterly a 3-4-1-2. I've enjoyed just Gavin just like thinking, can I cut that? Will I cut that? Let's leave it in. Yeah, three, I four, think, one, two. I think we're far too gone, too, way too far <laughs> gone on the Monkey Mackay discourse. You think well, Gary's far too gone? Yes, yeah. I would agree. No, it's a collective responsibility here. Um, uh, I mean, I feel there's a lot of mixed messages though because he's advocating for his tactical flexibility. So maybe he's, you know, angling <laughs> for something here. Well, he's just warming us up um, <laughs> for his next hot take. <laughs> um, where were we? Yes, uh, three, four, one, two against Livingston. It's fair to say you know what we're going to expect here. I mean, even Dave, did you see Dave Martindale's post-match interview on Livy TV? Even he was bemoaning how direct Ross County were against Livingston on Saturday. Um, Yikes, that's rich. Which says everything you need to know, I think. County absolutely looking to smash it long for Jordan White with either Simon Murray or Jan Danda looking to pick up flick-ons and second balls. Jordan White has won the most aerial duels in the league so far this season of anyone. He's won 40 across his five games this season. That's an average of eight per game. I'll tell you what, if you were a long ball merchant team, you'd be sliding him up. Uh, yes, exactly. Not that I'm advocating which is saying Jordan White, but there you go. But you kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> If you're a team who wants to play a certain way, that might be a guy. That's all I'm going to say. So that's that's the obvious area for us to watch out for. Currently, County are fifth in the table in terms of goals. They've averaged 1.2 per game. Simon Murray is their top scorer in the league with two defensively, perhaps not too sound. They've got the seventh best record in the league, conceding seven for an average of 1.4 per game, unsurprisingly. The second lowest percentage possession figure in the league, 39.7%. Only Dundee have got less. Uh, they've got the lowest number of passes per sequence in the league. 1.8 passes per sequence um, with an average sequence time of 4.65 seconds. So you, you've got an idea what's happening here. They've only had one sequence of passes of more than 10 in the season so far today as well. They're going to absolutely give up territory. You can see that in their zones of control graphic. Um, 
County are going to come to Pataudry and do what County do at Pataudry, which is something they've done generally quite well, it's fair to say, in, in recent years. Um, but this is going to be a huge game coming off the back of Europe, which, you know, it's Germany, depending which way we fly to Germany. There could be all sorts of like issues in terms of um, <laughs> our fucking recovery from that. Huge game, but we really, really, really have to get three points on the board here. Because if we don't, if we thought the last 24 hours have been pretty brutal on social media, fuck knows what that's going to look like. And then we head into a cup quarterfinal at Dingwall against the same opposition a few days later. Massive game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we can be flippant about it, whatever, but it is, it is a really big, well, yeah, it is a really big game. Um, I would say the cup game's bigger. I think there's time to recover in the league. And I know people will disagree with me. But I'm just, I'm trying to hold on to the memory of last season where we all thought it was ties and then it all changed and look what we got out of it. So um, there's time to recover in the league. But clearly the cup's the one shot. You know, you win it uh, or or you're out. So whilst the league game is is very important, I actually think it's the cup game that is more important. That being said, I don't expect either game to be particularly pretty. It's the ball I'm going to feel sorry for because <laughs> it is going to get absolutely <laughs> battered around. Well, that and the structural integrity of like Leighton Clarkson's neck. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be particularly exciting doubleheader, is it? Billy Dodds is available, I've just noticed. Well, oh, is he gone? Say, yeah, I was trying to shoehorn that in somewhere. I just saw that as well. Yeah, he's gone. What a manager who's recently taken a team to the Scottish Cup final. They have been pretty murder lately, haven't they? They have, yeah. They're bottom with one point, so... Well, <laughs> people in glass houses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I agree with Graham regarding the importance of the games but what I would say is that St Johnston are away to Hibs that weekend and you never know what you're going to get with Hibs so there's a very distinct possibility that if we don't win this game we could be bottom of the league which is just going to ratchet up the pressure I, no no I, even, I understand even, all that even more but I just think there's time to move away from that whereas the cup game is just you know one time deal both both critical we need, we need to start picking up points, you know. You start looking at the table, it's... Game's right, there's time, but, you know, a gap's been built with uh, your competition very early on. I mean, the good thing is St. Johnson are playing at Hibs on Saturday, so, you know. Like I say, you never know what you're going to get with Hibs. But yeah, um, who'd have thunk it? You'd, you'd enter a week where you would sit and go, we're playing Eintracht Frankfurt on Thursday, we're playing Rothschild on Sunday, and you're actually going, Sunday's the massive game. Um, we know what it's going to be. It's going to be brutal to watch I think especially if we persist with the long ball thing because fucking hell predictions then for Sunday I don't worry we'll labour this too much longer because we've been here for a while already uh, but no it is going to be brutal and the thing is that you know Simon Murray's a powerful you know quick striker so oh, if he can get running sake, are we are we really at a position where we're going, talking up Simon Murray well, he is what he then is should we tell him he's he's direct. should be worried about the wolf he's what he is what oh I'm not going that far don't worry about it he is what he is, so he's direct and he's quick. And he gets running at our part horse centre backs, and that's going to cause partly, an issue. partly that and balls dropping in and around the box. We won't be getting them because we haven't got them all season. And he's the kind of player that's going to be making a nuisance of himself. So, yeah, maybe we have reached the point where yeah. Simon Murray is someone to be feared. Yeah. Fucking hell, that's not as good when you say that out loud, is yeah. it? Yeah. But not the lone wolf. No, I'm confident enough that we can take the piss out of him. 
Lovely. Uh, so yeah, Lovely get, stuff. Gonna, I mean, if we let it become the game that Ross County want it to be, then it's going to be a real, real struggle. It will be that because that's our tactics. Yeah. It's just who can out long ball. We're it's going to be yeah. absolutely brutal. We're playing, I cannot yeah. wait. We're playing right into their hands, most most likely, barring uh, a significant change in. <clears throat> I'm going to use the word philosophy. You need to make a buzzer alert or some sort of <laughs> siren for that word. No, I agree with you, Gav. If if we if we do what we've been doing, which is basically shell it when we're not equipped to win those balls or the second balls it's just going to come straight back at us and they are equipped to play that way and they've been quite effective at playing that way and I'm not certain although maybe our defence might be a little bit better under an aerial bombardment because that might you know they're all well there's enough height and strength in there that um, maybe not well, there's enough nonsense. There's also there enough well. belief that strikers can just be, you know, by themselves in penalty areas. And yeah, no, I know. I know the ball dropping in and around our box doesn't really fill me with confidence. It's honestly, it's like it's it is genuinely Jim Goodwin all over again. Absolutely brutal. Um, I don't yeah. know. You don't have Lee Sharp smirking in the sidelines. No, we just have our manager at the moment claiming that we're claim, claiming we're tired from 16 days ago. Do you think maybe Liam Fox was the brains behind the whole operation? <laughs> well, he is at Hearts now, uh, so just saying. Um, you never know. I mean, maybe we'll, you know, go and melt down the cryogenic chamber that Vinny Bajowin's in and we'll completely change philosophy and play some scintillating football that'll set us on course for a remarkable season. Or we'll do what Graham just said and it'll be absolutely brutal and it'll be a 1-1 draw. 1-1 draw. Graham, did you give us a prediction? Sorry. Uh, no, again, I thought I'd waffled enough to escape that. Um, we are like it's... a dog with a bone tonight. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I fancy you're going to finish Aberdeen no Ross County 1, and it'll be a fucking bloodbath at that point. Boo. Um, ah, fuck it, 2-0 Aberdeen. <laughs> there we go. There's the positivity. Some, uh, well, one of us will be right. <clears throat> it's it. We're... <laughs> Need to put that fucking syndicate. Anyway, um, speaking of which, he who laughs last laughs loudest. <laughs> Do you even know they'd won until I said they? No, oh, I just assumed it because it was like I, I checked. Well, as you would like, assume, yeah. As you it would was assume. like ninety-two minutes. I think when I checked it last, and I was like, oh, well, that's that fucked. And then you guys were all like, ooh, well, we wanted it, Gary's Spurs. Ooh. Yeah, obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, Gary spent Saturday night adding another wing to his Ange Postecoglou shrine. <laughs> he seems like an alright guy, doesn't he? Let's be honest. We can all say that now. He's not here, um, and he's got Spurs fans thinking they're going to win the league, which is really fucking funny just now because it's really not going to happen. But um, anyway, there we go. Let's move on. That'll do us well this week. Um, fucking hell, it's been a sore one. Remember a point last season where we thought <laughs> we're on an upward trajectory now. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> we won't have to do these miserable pods for a while. I, I did not think we'd plateau that early. That's not true. Plateau. <laughs> Ooh. Plateau would plateau would infer this, Gavin. Well, I mean, as plateau, opposed to plateau cratering. For me, plateau for me is kind of like the end of the season, and then uh, well, pre-season, then ripsage. Right there we go. That'll do us. That wraps up this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for staying with us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever you might do on your podcast player of choice. Join us next time for episode 126 of the show. 
we'll look back on our trip to Frankfurt. Unfortunately, Graham and I are declining to take any recording gear with us to Germany to provide you with a instant reaction. Um, thankfully, I'm probably thankful for all. Um, we'll also look back in the league game against Ross County. We'll look back at all the news from maybe 24 in the week that's just gone past. Who knows who will award a contract extension to this week? And then we'll look ahead to our League Cup quarterfinal tie with the Staggies and then our first trip of the season to Mordor. Looking forward to it. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Codger Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!